What's up, guys? If you're on Spotify right now, please follow the show so that you don't miss any future episodes and leave a five-star review. Thank you. So my first deployment was to Iraq, and okay. the first time that I actually pulled the trigger shooting at somebody was at a hotel that we were staying at, and our hotel got attacked in the middle of the night by a bunch of douchebags that showed up outside, shot RPGs at the hotel, and I ran up on the roof with a bunch of other dudes, and they were across the street in an abandoned building, and you could see their muzzle flashes, and it was like whack-a-mole. Joe, if you were my personal alarm clock every morning, I would wake up ready to attack the day. I got to tell you. Holy shit, am I oh, energized wow. talking with you for the last few hours. Dude, thanks. That's that's. You know what? I don't think anyone's ever said that. I've got the exact <laughs> opposite before, but I've never, I've never had somebody say that. But thanks, man. That's no, the- 100%. Like, you just kind of have that, like, let's attack the day. Let's go, man. Let's get it. <laughs> like, it's, it's like not... You're not like the Marine drill sergeant, like, fuck you, soldier. You're uh, more like the, ah, let's get after it. It's fun. Cool. But Thank you. Dude, you're talking with you on the phone before coming in here. You had a very, very unique career. We're going to get to where you ended up and where right. the crazy shit happened today. I do want to say, as a disclaimer, you worked in one of the highest levels of government there is. So there is going to be stuff today where people will say, Ooh, I wish he'll ask him about this. And we cannot do that because these are, you worked in the most covert high level under secret forever missions. So we're going to speak broadly about some of that. But as I told you off camera, don't be afraid to say like, Oh, we can't go there or something. No problem. But where, where did you start off? You, you did both the Marines and the army, right? Yeah. Um, so, I it was so funny, man. When I was like seven years old, I remember watching like commercials on TV of the Marine Corps, and they were just like they had the baddest ass commercials. I'm like, I want to be a Marine. Mm. Then I started reading Soldier Fortune magazine. You're probably too young for that, but there yeah, was there was I, this I haven't heard it. yeah there was this magazine back in the day called Soldier Fortune, and it always had like articles about special ops guys, and so I was like enamored with like recon Marines. So. It was very early on that I wanted to be a Marine, um, and I left from Marine Corps boot camp 10 days after I graduated high school, literally. At 18. Yeah. Yeah, man. It was wow. – I don't know if that was a good decision or not, but, like, I was a train wreck in school. Like, I didn't get good grades, and I wasn't an athlete. I didn't play any sports, and, you know, I had pretty rough – Growing up, you know, what was it like growing up? What was your what was your house like? Yeah, so you know, only child. Um, my parents divorced when I was really young, um, seven eight years old, and um, you know, my mom went and lived with her dad, and my dad lived with his mom. Um, but close, like I could see both of them. But you know, electricity was like an on and off kind of thing. Mm. I used to steal my clothes out of a Goodwill box for school. Like, yeah, man, I had a coat hanger. Where'd you grow up? Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Pittsburgh. Yeah, a little little town outside of Pittsburgh called Turtle Creek. It's mm-hmm. about an hour, about an hour outside of Pittsburgh. A little coal mining town. And so, um, yeah, man, grew up very poor. Um, which is, you know what though, bro? It, it served me well as mm-hmm. I got older. Like, like if I'm walking into a shopping center and I see a penny on the ground, I'm picking it up. Like to this day. Mm-hmm. So it, you know, I I kind of I kind of grew up uh, appreciating appreciating the value of a dollar. 
Um, yeah. So, um, but anyway, yeah, I went in the Marines uh, 10 days after I graduated boot camp, or 10 days after I graduated high school, I was in boot camp, Paris Island, South Carolina. And uh, yeah, I spent uh, four years. I made it actually right into Force Recon, which is really bizarre, dude. I went to boot camp, then I went to infantry school, and I was honor graduate out of infantry school. So I got meritoriously promoted as well. And while I was there, a recruiting team from Second Force came to the infantry school. And at that time, there was only one Force Recon company in the entire Marine Corps, and then which was Second Force, which was in French Creek, which was in Lejeune. Then you had First Recon Battalion, Second Recon Battalion, and Third Recon Battalion. So highly unusual to go straight from infantry mm. school to Second Force. But anyway... Bunch of guys tried out. You go take this thing they called the indoc test, which I don't know if they still do it. And then you pass that, and you basically wait around for your amphibious reconnaissance course to start, which ARS amphibious reconnaissance. Course? Yeah, it's like buds for the Navy. They had, I think they call it BRC now, basic reconnaissance basic reconnaissance course. But back then they called it ARS, mm. and it's where you actually get your O three twenty one. Back then was your reconnaissance marine MOS. Mm. So anyway, and so but here was the shitty part about it, man. Like, unfortunately, the Marine Corps back then, now you're talking about the early 80s, right? Yeah. Didn't know what to do with a spec ops unit. They just didn't know, like, what to do with them. So, like, all of our parachutes were, like, hand-me-downs from the Army mm. that had patches in it. All of our dive gear was hand-me-downs from the Navy that they didn't need no more. Here, use these twin 80s. They were great. No, you know, awesome. No budget, no nothing. So, I saw this, and it was very disconcerting because I actually got to train with Special Forces and SEALs. I'm like, wow, these guys have good gear. They're getting missions. And it was because back then, the Marine Corps was not – the Marine Corps – Second Force Recon was not part of SOCOM, mm. Special Operations. Now they have MARSOC, which I think they formed in... What does that mean again, MARSOC? Marine Special Operations Command. Got it. Okay. They formed in 2006, I think it was. I actually was one of the first instructors to run their assessment selection course, So, which is a great program. I ran it twice. Um, I wasn't the primary instructor. I was one of a handful of guys. When was that? It was when were you like running? Yeah, when I, actually that was time off in between my government work. It was like mm. two thousand eight, two thousand nine. So, and it was great. I really, I really enjoyed it to see the Marine Corps blossom into that whole special operations community. You know, because they had a great asset. They just didn't know what the hell to do with them. Right, right. and they didn't have no money. And you got to have money, right? right? You got to have you have to have money to be in that game. So once they became part of SOCOM, um, they got the they got their funding. But yeah, man, so I got really disenchanted, and uh, I left. And I got the Marine Corps, and uh, went in in 82, got out in 86. And when you get out in 86, that was when you went to Wall Street, right, out in Vegas? So yeah, man, this is kind of funny. So I, I leave the Marine Corps, and I had a, a cousin that I was really close with. His name is Jack, and he lived in Vegas. He was a percussionist for Wayne Newton. Mm, yeah, right? yeah, yeah. So I end up calling him. I'm like, hey, man, I'm getting out of the Marines. And he's like, dude, come out here and hang out with me in Vegas. I'm like, yeah, man. I'm like 21. <laughs> I've got $2,500 in the bank. What could go wrong, right? <laughs> Everything. Yeah. So. Uh, I could think of a few things. Yeah. So I end up getting out and I fly to Vegas and I, I end up staying with my cousin. And um, I was out of money in like two months. 
And so I started doing like odd jobs. I actually caddied at this country club for a while, which was kind of fun. Sucked at golf, but I could carry a bag or two. And then I end up meeting, and bro, this was so bizarre. Like you just never know where your life's going to take you. But I end up meeting this girl. Um, That's how it starts. Right, right. But this was a good finish. Like even though was I was she a stripper. No, believe it. No, 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 believe it or no, not. Believe it or not, she wasn't. <laughs> she was actually, dude. She was an Ivy League. She went to Princeton. She had a degree in, I think, economics. She was in Vegas. Yeah, man. Holy so shit. And she was a stockbroker. Hmm. So I meet her, and you know, start dating, and then one day she like drops this freaking bomb on me because I wasn't really doing anything, and she's like, "Why don't you become a stockbroker?" I'm like. I said, I don't have a degree. She's like, you don't have to have one. You just have to pass <laughs> the series seven and 63. And I'm like, is there any math involved? And she's like, a lot. I'm like, I got like C's and D's in math. Like, <laughs> she's like, no, no, no. She's like, I'll, I will, I will tutor you. And um, so anyway, the core, the course back then was called the Longman series. And um, it was at UNLV and you studied for your series seven and your 63 and it costs 1500 bucks for like your books and the whole course. And I'm like, I don't have 1500 bucks. Like I was eating like ramen noodles. And mm. Like, you know the deal. Yeah, yeah. And she's like, look, I'll give you the $1,500. You just pay me back in your first paycheck. Like she, dude, I don't know what it was about her. She just saw something that I didn't see. Like, I'm like <laughs> a stockbroker, white collar. Like, I just got out of the Marines. Like, I, I was, can't you know, picture you as a stockbroker. Dude, that's a compliment. To bro, be it was the proverbial round peg and square hole. Yeah. It was, you know, I don't look good in a suit, not to wear a suit every day. I freaking hated it. But anyway, so I go to UNLV, I study, and don't ask me how I passed the first time because it, I can't remember what the percentages were. It wasn't good. Mm. Normally, people take the Series 7 several times. It, they say it's harder than the, the accounting exam, but not as hard as the bar. Yeah. But here's the kicker. It's a pass or fail. Yes, I you, took it. Yeah. yeah. And back then, you couldn't use a calculator. All of your math had to be done. So you had your you had your answers page, but then you had to have the math for each question. And if you didn't have the math, the question was wrong. So you had to know the actual math on converting options and all this other stuff. And so anyway, I passed. I think they probably misscored my test or some damn thing, bro, to be honest with you. <laughs> or so, there was a different Joe Tadian. Yeah, exactly. Day. Right. So so unbeknownst to me, they gave a $1,500 bonus if you passed the first time to cover. Your, so I just gave that straight to her. We were flush. I had my Series 7, my 63, and now I'm this stockbroker well we dating her too yes yeah she worked for bear stearns at the time and she even said look they're not gonna pick you up as a fresh broker so i ended up you had to be sponsored to go take the series seven and 63 yes. and so i ended up contacting this it was a penny stock firm way back in the day if people remember those like if you ever seen the movie boiler room yes that's ex bro jordan belford bro man. that's yeah. exactly what it was like it was intense man like mega stress you had to make 400 dollars a day but anyway yeah it was nuts so i end up going working for this company for a year and then kind of like building up my book of business right and then she got me an interview with with Bear Stearns, which was a Wall Street firm, you know, um, had a medium-sized office in Vegas. Interview wasn't with Jeffrey Epstein, was it? 
<laughs> he like dumped, no, like, no, oh, no, shit. no, 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 no. I don't think he was conducting interviews. No, I, I was gonna say, I don't think he was back then. <laughs> but no. Um, but anyway, yeah. So I ended up going over there and actually learning about the market and how the market worked and actually trading real stocks right. and, um, you know. And then back then, Black Monday hit. Which for oh, those yeah. of you who remember that that it, was eighty seven, right? It, um, October eighty seven. Yeah, it was. It was. Yeah, it wasn't long after I became a broker, but it what two days in a row, boom, boom, thirty percent down. Bro, wiped it wiped out. out. It wiped out people's business. Yep. So, and I already had kind of like one foot out the door because I don't know. I just it what I still had in the back of my head. I wanted to do the special ops thing. Um, were you having any fun like in Vegas though, while this was going on? I mean, you're living in Vegas, dude, it was bad. <laughs> so, all right. You really want to get down that road? Uh, let's go all, right. all the way down it. All right. So, uh, you know, I'm a young guy, you know, I was in my early twenties and so I was making, I thought was a lot of money, which actually back then it was, I was making like 70 grand a year, which that's decent That's bread. That's a lot of money. In yeah, the 80s. dude, coming Holy out of the shit. yeah, right, and coming out of the Marine Corps and not making. You know, I was a corporal when I got out, so um, so it was a very fast paced business. Yeah, and you know how's that saying go? Work hard, play hard, and both, dude. And and then now you're in Vegas, and so I've admitted this to many a people, and I'll admit it right now to those who are listening. I started drinking way too much, mm. um, and to quantify way too much um, every Friday and Saturday night to the point where I didn't know where my car was. Right. You well, know, that's a good thing. Yeah. You didn't know where your yeah. car was at that point. And just drinking. My problem was it's not that um, I didn't know when to stop drinking. Like I wouldn't just get, I was one of those guys right. like, Hey dude, you got a good buzz. Quit drinking. No, I think I'm going to drink nine or 10 long Island ice. Yeah. Tea what stuff. am I going to do with one? Yeah. You know? Yeah. And that was my problem. And so um, it it kind of got out of control. It's a miracle, to be honest with you, that I never got a DUI. And I'm not proud to say that, but I was a young kid. I didn't know what the fuck. I, I didn't know what I was doing. Yeah. You know, and I was around a bunch of raging type A guys that were partying really hard. I never got into the drugs, which was everywhere. Coke I couldn't and- see you on drugs, man. You are born with it in your veins. You don't yeah. need that shit. <laughs> it, bro, it was like right in front of me all the time. Coke, ecstasy. Yeah. It was right there. It's Vegas, parties. baby. Yeah, parties. And so uh, that that I am proud that I never did it. Um, but uh, it just got to a point where, you know, I was, I could see me going down that rabbit hole and not getting me out of it. Because I seen guys literally like this one dude his name was Bert and he was from um Salt Lake City he was a Mormon never drank never smoked never cursed <laughs> never 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 I watched that dude yeah. in a year yep coke drinking yep topless bars like you name it he went and I thought man if that happened to him yeah you know what I mean so it it just it was just it it came to a head um just it, it's lucky <laughs> like stupid shit like this like one night we were not drinking and it was five of us, and um, my buddy's like, hey, man. No, it's like f- 3 o'clock in the morning. He's like, hey, let's go get my dad's boat and go, and go toward around, you know, um, Lake Mead. I'm like, oh, okay, what's wrong with five drunk guys going taking a boat out of Lake Mead? <laughs> pitch black dark, right? Oh so, God. dude, we swing by his dad's house. He gets the keys, and <laughs> we, we drive out to the lake and um, get in his dad's boat. It was at a dock. 
and we it's pitch black out there right and so we're driving and we we probably didn't go five minutes and all i hear is this like underneath a boat and i hear it go under oh did you hit the dude i thought we ran like at first like please tell me you didn't run somebody over but it was like who would be out here swimming at four in the freaking morning (laughs) right but we stopped and turned around and he ran over a log that was floating in the water oh so he didn't bar it no he dude he went right over it yeah and it all of a sudden water starts coming up in the back of the boat he tore the tree and i'm like "Uh uh-oh now here's five drunk off their ass guys. Out and I'm like, dude, turn the boat around right now and get back to the dock. Didn't make it. It sunk about a hundred. <laughs> it sunk about a hundred yards from the dock, man. No, probably sobered up real quick though. Man, oh man. But dumb, dumb stuff like that. Yeah. You know, that could have really changed the trage- trajectory of my career. Yeah. Right. Getting down the road and the clearance I had to have any of that stuff would have disqualified me. DUI, anything with the law, that would have been an instant, instant disqualifier. So I ended up, I ended up, uh, getting out of the business and, uh, and it was a good, it it, all in all though, bro, it was a good experience. I learned about the market. I learned about sales, all of that, like at a very, very high level. Right. Think about it. I mean, you're calling people you're never going to meet and asking for money, but you didn't like it at all. I, no, I didn't wake up every morning going, oh, I can't wait to get to work. Right. No, it wasn't like that. It was kind of like a means to an end because I wasn't really doing anything. And I went from like caddying at a country club to being a stockbroker. <laughs> Dude, right? So. Technically, I did that too. It, a little it, bit of a different route. That's but, cool. Yeah. But but it just, it just wasn't me. Yeah. I just, I just didn't wake up in the morning with pep in my step. You know what I mean? So I ended up getting out of the, of the brokerage business. And a quick question for you, yeah, just, just not to go back too far, but like before that, when you got in, you, you had said like you weren't good in school and like you figured, okay, I'm going to go into the Marines. Did, did you have like a real, had you already developed like a real like patriotic sense? Like I want to fight for the country. And was that pulling back at you now when you're on wall street and wanted to leave? Yeah, actually, that's a very good point. So, yeah, I I grew up in a very patriotic family, but what's really crazy is no one really enlisted in the military. Like, I had an uncle that was drafted for Korea, and one was drafted, a cousin was drafted for Vietnam. But pull that mic up just to see how it's like down. Pull yep. it up a little bit. Yep, there you go. That's what I want. And so, like, no one really enlisted in the military, but I my family was very patriotic. Mm. Flew a flag 24 7, 365 was raised with those core values, right? right? So right. it was instilled in me in a very young age. Um, so you do feel that? Oh, 100%. Yeah. yeah. And and I I feel it to this day, you know? Yeah, absolutely. You know, every time I see a flag, you know, it's like, you know, it just... Fuck yeah, baby. Exactly. Yeah. And so, um, but yes, that, but it was more of like, I never completed the job. Like I, mm. I like I got into force recon, but I never got to do what I really wanted to do, which was serve in combat. Like mm. that's like the test. That's like the litmus test. Like, yeah, you got all these schools, you know, this, but you never done crap with it. Like, you know, it's like putting an elevator in an outhouse. It just don't make sense. Like right. you put these guys to the test. Well, they never did. So I went back. I re uh, reenlisted in the army and, um, 
So guys, I got a really cool podcast coming for you in two weeks. It's something we recorded at the end of May, and it has become all the more relevant this month with the recent news in the UFO phenomenon that we have seen with whistleblower David Grush coming out and discussing secret government programs that have never been talked about before where we are studying extraterrestrial craft. Now, my podcast is going to be with my friend Ron James, who is the director of the award-winning documentary Accidental Truth, which came out just this year and is available on Apple and Amazon. The documentary covers the modern cover-up of UFOs in the government and features people like Dr. Michio Kaku, Colonel John Alexander, Ralph Blumenthal, Lou Elizondo, Christopher Mellon, Congressman Tim Burkett, and the list goes on. Ron does a terrific job of covering all the different angles of the government that have been responsible for concealing this truth over the years, and he probably has the most extensive interview ever recorded in a documentary with former head of the ATIP desk at the Pentagon, Lou Elizondo. So if you want to check that out ahead of our podcast, I'd highly recommend you do that. You have two weeks, and I think you're really going to enjoy the conversation because we got we got pretty meta. No, no pun intended on many different subject matters around this. And obviously, it's something more people are thinking about now. So check that out on Apple or Amazon, and I will see you in two weeks. This is actually kind of funny. So I get a contract for Special Forces. And well, you went – hold on. You went into the Army, so not the Marines. So you had to start from scratch, right? So no, I actually went back in the Army as an E-4 – because the minimum rank in a, a Special Forces A team is an E5. Okay. So they gave me my E4, and the day I graduated the Q course, I was an E5. Got it. Okay. Okay. Because that's Fair the enough. minimum rank on, on, on an SF. I got to follow the military no, no, stuff. No, no, no. No worries, dude. I, yeah. I wasn't in. So. No, no worries. So, um, so I go, I go to the first thing you have to do is go to selection. And so, um, well, actually, the first school I went to was PL. It's called PLDC, Platoon Leadership Development Course. I don't know why I had to go to that first, but it was just a leadership school um, because the Marine – well, actually, now I look back. The Marine Corps has a very specific way they lead, in, and so does the Army, but mm. it's not exactly a parallel course, right? There's a lot of leadership styles that are a little bit <laughs> yes, different. So, yes, so yes. that was actually probably a really good thing. So I went to PLDC, and then I went to Special Forces Selection. And it was really funny because you show up and, you know, you got your duffel bag and you dump it all out and they do like a cursory inspection to make sure you don't have like supplements and protein powder and all that stuff, right? So I'm standing there and I dump out my bag and the instructor's walking down the line looking through stuff and you kind of like standard parade rest and he comes up in front of me and he's looking at my stuff. He's like, what unit are you coming from? Bear Stearns. <laughs> he looks at me and he goes, what the fuck unit is Bear Stearns? I never, what? And I said, Bear Stearns, it's a brokerage firm. He's like, a brokerage firm? He's like, don't even unpack. <laughs> so, yeah, man, it was pretty, it was pretty funny. Um, and I'll be honest with you, man, I, I was very ill-prepared physically for what, uh, what that what selection dishes out to a person mm. i suffered man and there were some guys that made it through didn't even have a blister i lost all my toenails um i had lost my, your toenails yeah so what happened was you do a lot of ruck marching yeah you, you, you're carrying a lot of weight yep. and a lot of this and so mud I, and all that shit yep. and well i would get like these blood 
like blood underneath my toenails. So what they said is like, you just take a needle and drill a little hole and you squeeze, but then you're not losing your toenail. Yeah. I lost them all. I lost Ugh. all my tone. I look like an ape. It was the weirdest looking how does, thing. How does that feel though? Like, when, oh, like, like can hell. you, yeah, but like, can you, I'm just trying to like, imagine I've lost a toenail before, but like, you know how you're walking on it? Like you feel like that toe doesn't exist. How do you walk? Like, are you Dude, walking on the front of your foot? I wrapped all of my toes in moleskin. In what? Moleskin. What the fuck is that? It's like, uh, it's like this tan stuff that you put on like blisters. It keeps it from rubbing. It's like, it has tape on one side and you huh. peel it off. Anyway, my whole feet were wrapped up in this shit because they were just trash. Like I had a blood blister on both of my feet, the size of an egg, like underneath it. I mean, Yikes. it was painful. And there were guys that suffered like that, but a lot of the guys didn't because they were training up for it. They were hardening up their feet. They had, mm. My boots were brand new, mm. like in a box. You know, not very smart. But anyway, I, I ended up, the very last day you do a 25-miler and it's timed. What do it, you have to get? Man, I don't remember. I, I can tell you the pace is 15-minute 15, 15 miles. That was the standard. 15-minute miles. miles, yeah, which is a, a fast, you know, ruck march. And a lot of guys would run, walk, run, walk, run, walk. But you had, a, you had to be humping it, dude. But I remember about five. Oh, you got all the – I'm sorry. You have all the equipment on too. Oh, yeah, you're carrying yeah, a yeah, heavy yeah, yeah. rock I was weapon. thinking like you were do, going for a jot. No. No, no, no. no. You got to – at that point, I think it was like a 65-pound ruck with water. Right. You know, it's right. waves. That's intense. In a weapon. And so um, about five miles into it, I remember I was crossing the stream and just – my left foot just i i don't know just and i ended up making it um but i had a str i had a stress fracture so mm. i did like the last 20 miles on a freaking stress fracture Ugh. dude it was it, it, if it wouldn't have been the last day i don't know if i would have made it physically just because it, it hurt so much i i left on crutches literally yeah. i got a picture of me on crutches so Leave it as a fast. So anyway, went to selection, went to the Q course, um, 18 Bravo weapons guy, because uh, you've got, you know, weapons, commo, demo, medical, right? I was a, a, a weapons guy. And then um, went straight to language school, which sucked because normally you have like a break. Language school. Uh, I went to, so after you graduate the Q course, you go to a language whether depending on what group you're in. Oh, you know what? Yeah, I heard that from somebody else. Go ahead. Yeah. Sorry. So I uh, I went to Spanish school, which was the mm. easiest. But it, but literally, they when I was at Bragg, like, don't even leave your Spanish classes starting in like five days. I'm like, oh. <laughs> yeah, I want to get the hell out of <laughs> here. Stuff. Yeah, like I want to get out of here, man. So because it was like SFAS, you know, Q course, and then language school. So um, anyway, I went to language school. Um, which again, Spanish is the easiest. And I'm one of those rocks, man. Like I had a hard time learning Spanish. Like some dudes can learn five languages. That blows me away, man. Dude, I'm not one of them. Yeah, neither am I. You know, like I was graduating Spanish school and the dudes in Farsi were like learning the alphabet still. Like, oh. Were you, because I don't know how, I've only ever lived in my head trying to learn this stuff, but right. were you like one of those people who was always trying to translate it directly to English? Yeah. So, yeah, and that turns exactly, yeah. and that don't work. That's what I. That's what I would do too much yeah. too. Yeah. So, um, and that was at Bragg. I didn't go to DLI. There was actually a language school in California called DLI. I think it stood for Defense Language Institute, okay. but they had one at Bragg. Got so it. I went to language school at Bragg, and um, Bragg you know, the one in North Carolina. Yeah. 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 Right. 
And it just sucked, dude. You're in a classroom eight hours a day, you know, just you start learning the language. And like the last month, you can't speak English. You watch like Spanish, um, uh, like uh, soap operas in Spanish. Then you have to write a paper in Spanish about what you just watched. So you really, I don't know if they do it anymore, but it made sense. Like yeah. I'm watching something, listening to it, then I got to write it. Yeah. So. Yeah. Um, Repetition. Yeah. And so, you know, it was. It sucked. It was just, it was just, you know, boring as shit. Like, you know, like this, <laughs> falling asleep. How long was that again? Uh, I think language school was four months. Okay. Um, which again, Spanish school was the shortest. These poor guys that went to like Farsi and Mandarin Chinese, yeah. it was like nine months or a year or some shit. Like, which is even crazy. <sighs> like that. that yeah, fast. dude. No, no, no. I would have never. <laughs> yeah, no. I'll take a pass on that. Right. I'm like, nope. So, um, Actually, and this is kind of funny. So I, I graduate from language school. What year are we in? I went to the Q course in 93. Okay. Yeah. Um, and so this was, I graduated. That'd be like in 94. It's just like, just I, like post-Somalia right after that. Uh, yeah. It yeah. Around, yeah. And so um, I ended up driving back um, to uh, our headquarters and I drove in and our school's NCO was on the phone and you turn in your orders and all your medical stuff. Right. And he's on the phone. He's like, Hey, hold on a second. <laughs> and, uh, he's like, Hey man, you have an active chamber card. And I'm like, and for those, a chamber card is like, uh, to go to free fall school to halo school. Mm. You had to go to Wright Patterson and sit like in a chamber and they take you to altitude and you breathe oxygen. You ever seen, you ever seen, what was that show with, uh, Richard Gere, um, when he was a pilot, young Richard Gear, um, officer and a gentleman. Oh yes. When yes, they're yes. in the chamber and that guy starts freaking out, that's a chamber ride. Got it. So it expires every, I don't know, year or two, but I had just gotten it like right before. So anyway, he goes, you got an active chamber card? And I'm like, yeah. He's like, you want to go to halo school? I'm like, hell Yeah. <laughs> Right, because that was that was a tough school back then to get. He's like, "Don't even unpack." I'm like, "Oh, you got to be freaking kidding me!" So, dude, I literally washed my clothes, jumped back in my car, and drove back to Bragg, and I went to Halo School. And I was actually in the last free fall course before they moved the whole school out to Yuma. What does that stand for? Halo High Altitude Low Opening. Mm. Um, so I was in the last class. Because at that time, Halo School was at Bragg, but they moved the entire schoolhouse out to Yuma, Arizona, which is a much better place. Unrestricted airspace and... 310 to Yuma, same place? I'm sorry? Same place as the movie? 310 to Yuma? Oh, yeah, 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 exactly, yeah. Interesting. Yeah, so it's just out in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. And, um, but what was crazy, dude, was, uh, so you have to do a certain amount of jumps um, to graduate, and um, the last jump you have to do is a night oxygen combat equipment jump mm. you have to do that or you won't graduate so uh it was raining that day and like we were already behind because some dude i think over a cag um jumped and burned in he hit his head or something on a dc3 and like burned in and died and oh, when shit. somebody dies jumping, they like stop all jump operations till they find out right. what happened. Naturally. So we were already behind. And like, if we didn't jump that night, I wasn't graduating. And I was like, oh. So we're sitting out there. We have ponchos over us. So we're all kitted up. And the first group goes, they get the jump. 
Um, and I was in the very last group. And so we get on the bird and it started raining even harder. And I'm like, man. And we kept going up and I'm looking at my, my altimeter and we got to about 9,000 feet. And all of a sudden the jump master's like, stand up. And I'm like, oh shit. Cause it's not how high you jump. You just have to jump oxygen at night with combat equipment. Mm. And there was cat litter all over the ramp, like they put down because the ramp was all wet and slippery and shit. I mean, it was oh, crazy. Promising. Yeah, right. So I ended up doing my my final jump in Halo School at like I think it was like ninety five hundred feet. Oh, with co- combat equipment. And I'm not so, a heights guy. Yeah, dude. Either am I. To be honest with you, you know, I think you know it. it everybody has a fear of heights, you know, especially knowing if shit don't go right, you're gonna be a lawn dart, like right. you know. And so some guys loved it. Um, I did it cause it was part of the job. Um, but I wasn't like, we call them sky gods. Like I wasn't that guy, like just jump, 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 you know, all that mm-hmm. stuff. So, so anyway, yeah. And then, um, I, um, I hit a lot of schools. I, I hit as many schools as I could, um, which are good to have, but that just goes back to the same thing I was telling you about. What are all these schools worth if you ain't actually using it? Mm. You know, you're, it, it's like a, it's like a doctor going to med school, a surgeon and never doing surgery. Like what, you know, it's like every guy that joined, well, I don't say every guy, I'd say most guys that join special operations, they want to test themselves. Is that warrior mentality. Yeah, and you want yeah. to test yourself in the crucible of combat. Right. And, um, I think anybody you talk to army, Navy, Air Force, Marine, they're going to say the same thing. Yeah, man, I want to see how I perform. Like that's the litmus test. Um, we deployed to operation uphold democracy and maintain democracy in Haiti, but that wasn't like combat operations. It was like a peacekeeping thing. And then the UN came in. It was a total cluster screw. It was was called uphold democracy. Yeah. It was in (laughs) Haiti. It was during, uh, Sounds like a campaign ad. Dude, it was a mess. But anyway, I was there for six months. Um, we got there and then the UN came in and it went from, uphold democracy to maintain democracy when the UN came in. <laughs> we even had to wear those stupid ass UN patches. They were blue and white. And dude, uh, yeah. anyway, but it wasn't combat. Like you weren't kicking in doors and killing bad guys, you know? So again, kind of missed the whole thing. Never went to desert storm or desert shield. Um, but anyway, fast forward a little bit. And um, I end up getting a call one day. Um, in this, and I, I don't, if you want to go down this road, we can, I'll tell you as much Always. as I can. Okay. Let's drive. Uh, all right. So I get a call one day and it's this gentleman on the phone and he says, uh, is this Joe? And I said, yeah. And he says, my name is Ron. And he said his last name. And he said, um, I work for an organization that may be interested in hiring you. And I said, who? And he's like, well, I prefer not to say right now. <laughs> And he said, do you know so-and-so? I'm like, yeah. And he's like, do you know so-and-so? Yeah. He asked me how I knew him. And I said, well, I went to the Q course with the one guy. And I knew the other guy from seventh group. Um, he went to seventh group. And we were just friends, you know, really good friends. And, and went to some schools together and just um, got to know both of the guys pretty well. The one dude ended up going over uh, to Delta. Um, and he was an operator over there. And so... It was really funny because I thought they were dead. Like, it's like they kind of like fell off the map. Mm. You know what I mean? I'm like, yeah. we're, you know, so anyway, he's like, look, man, he goes, 
I think he said he was in Kansas City or something. He's like, I need you to jump on an airplane. And I'm not joking. This is what the dude tells me on the phone. He goes, you need to jump on an airplane. Um, I'm at the Holiday Inn Express in Kansas City. <laughs> I'm in room 105. And can you be here like on Thursday? And it was like Tuesday. What year is this? This is pre 9-11. This okay, is so right... you've been back in now for a long time. A while. But yeah. I had but I was I I was out. You cause that unit I had already gotten out. Can you explain that? I don't know. So like yeah, so like I didn't I didn't re enlist in the army and I had a little break in like a break in service before I went because you can't be in the unit I'm about to talk about being active duty. But you had never the point being you had done all kinds of training and been on bases, but you hadn't actively deployed and now you're getting this phone call from Ron. Yes, sir. Okay. Got it. And so and again at that time I didn't even know who it was. To be honest with you, I thought it was somebody from Blackwater. Like one of these big defense contracting companies. Mm. But then I'm like why are they being so secretive about who it is? Right. And it just didn't make any sense. And I still couldn't put two and two together. So I end up, oh, and he says, save your plane ticket, save your ta- save all your expenses. I'll give you cash when you get here. And mm. I'm like, okay. So I go meet this dude and um, he opens the door and he br- brings me in his room. And he's like, hey, do you mind if I record this conversation? I'm like, yeah, sure. <laughs> so he puts up a computer in front of me and he goes, uh, so look, he goes, sorry for all of the you know, cloak and dagger shit. But he said, um, I am the uh, recruiter for the CIA Special Activities Division, Special Operations Group, Ground Branch. Can you explain to people what Ground Branch is before you, so, before you tell this so that they can appreciate this? Yeah. So um, this is open source. I mean, you can pull this up mm-hmm. on Google. Mm-hmm. Um, the CIA has an organization inside of it um, that – is their special activities division, special operations group. I think they call it the counter. I think they changed the name instead of the special activities division. They call it the special activities center now, but back when I was in, they called it the SAD. Um, it's basically their paramilitary unit that conducts covert operations. So for those listening, there's a thing called title 50, which is, covert action it was it's a it's basically a code and it was given to the central intelligence agency to conduct covert actions on the behalf of the government so covert action is basically missions that the united states government doesn't want any hand in like if something goes wrong like plausible deniability we don't know right so the military does not have the legal um ability to do covert action that is assigned to the Central Intelligence Agency only. So that they can have no diplomatic immunity and things like that if they were to get caught. Yeah. That could be totally deniable to yeah, the like entire government. Joe who? Delete. Right. Right. So, yes. um, yeah. So, and I'd heard of them, you know, of course, in a bit, you know, it was kind of like this, the unicorn. Like, the do they, do they yeah. exist? They really, uh, who are right. they? What do they do? Like, nobody, like, really knew. And you're not going to see movies about it and you're not going to read missions about it. Like you see, you know, guys doing missions now, it's all over the news. You're not going to hear ever anything those guys do. And so I do this interview with them and, um, <laughs> dude, you, you could have knocked me over the feather. Like <laughs> I was not expecting that. 
mm. at all. And, and you're in a hotel room. Yep. In yeah. a hotel room in Kansas City. Now, and, did part of your brain go towards what if this is some sort of setup? It didn't. Mm-mm. Mm. I, I, that never really... Why? Be, because the dude knew two guys by name that I knew. Like, how would you know those guys? If I were a Russian spy and had information, I would. Yeah, but I wasn't that important. You know, like, who was I at that time? Like, I wasn't... Re- like, why would you be targeting me? Mm. Like, I wasn't Got it. privy to really classified information like I was when I got in the unit. So anyway, we do this interview. And to be honest with you, man, it was a very mundane interview. It's not like what you think it would be. He just asked me questions about growing up, uh, my military, um, just very basic questions. It's kind of like getting to know somebody Mm. kind of questions. Nothing crazy like you would think. That came later. Did he tell you at all about himself? Yeah. Yeah, he told you he was actually uh old school Delta guy. Um hmm. yeah, and um an older cat but super in shape. Like you uh, that's the first thing I was like, dang man, this guy's freaking yoked. Like he's right. yeah. But I could tell he was an older guy, but he was in really good shape. And um so just did this interview and 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 that was it, man. He's like, Hey man, thanks for coming. Um, we'll be in touch. Like that was that was the extent of it. And so, you know, give you a business card. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> Picture. Hey, holding yeah. up the sign. Let's get a selfie for Instagram, Woo! please. Yeah. So, so, dude, you know, here's me. You know, I get back in, you know, back in my rental car with this. I just pumped the neighbor's cat. Look, like what just happened, right? Like what? What was that? And I drive back to the airport and fly home. And about I don't know, it was maybe a week later. Two weeks later, I get a phone call from him and he's like, Hey man, he's like, um, I need you in Virginia as soon as possible to take a polygraph. And I'm like, when do you need me, sir? He's like, when can you come? And I tell him, he's like, all right. And it was like a couple days later. Mm-hmm. And he's like, all right, look, don't the 24 hours prior, don't drink soda. Don't drink coffee. Don't drink any stimulants. Don't take pre-workout, nothing. I'm like, Roger that. I never knew that. So they don't want you having anything yes. that could possibly affect your bloodstream. Yes, sir. Yeah, nothing. Interesting. Yeah. So, um, quick question. Yeah. What about when they have to do like pop up polygraphs then? Like when they surprise you and they didn't tell you 24 hours or something? Good question. Um, don't know. To That's be weird. Yeah. But okay. they were, he was very specific. No coffee, no soda, no, no, uh, pre workout. Nothing had caffeine in it. That's okay. Um, so I ended up, he he sends he tells me this is the address you need to go to, and so I decided to drive to Virginia instead of fly. I don't know why it was a long ass drive from where I live. It was like eight hours, but I just from wanted, North Carolina. Yeah, from where I lived. Where actually I was at that time. It was no, maybe not eight hours, maybe seven ish hours. Okay. But I just wanted to have some time to myself you know mm. what i mean and just like think about what was about to happen which was a stupid thing to do because you start mind screwing yourself <laughs> right you're driving going oh my god oh my god well you know what you're driving to because he told you oh yeah you yeah know dude. What this oh yeah is. this is this, this is, is major high league. oh yeah, yeah dude this is this is the 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 tip of the spear for sure so <laughs> i drive to this address and uh, it was just a very nondescript six-story building in the middle of like this commercial center and he told me, hey, when you go in, there'll be a security guard downstairs at a desk. Just tell them you're here to take a polygraph, and they'll tell you where to go. I'm like, okay. So I walk through the front door, 
and there's a, you know, like a security guard sitting here behind a desk and I'm like, Hey, sir, I'm here to take a polygraph. And he says your name. And he's, and I told him my name. He's like, okay, yeah, go to the third floor. I'm like, okay. So I get in the elevator and I go to the third floor and I get off the elevator and I look around and it literally looked like some company left in the middle of the night. Like all the shit was hanging from mm. the ceiling and the, like there was nothing there. Like the, the, the false ceiling was like missing shit and just wires hanging down. And just, I'm like, what the fuck? So I look, I get back in the elevator. I'm like, I'm on the wrong floor. <laughs> right. No, you're at the right. Place. I'm on the right. And just as I turned around, here's this dude standing right in front of me. And he says, Joseph. And I said, yeah, he says, follow me. He's got two electric wires going like this, testing for the current. Dude, I'm telling you, man. So, so this was crazy, man. It was like, this is like, this is what I like expected. It was really bizarre. So I, th there was an office and it there was a desk, the machine, a guy sitting behind the desk and a chair in front of the, in front of the desk. That was it. There was nothing else in it. And so I sit down. Just you and him. It was there was a, a guy behind me with running the polygraph machine, oh, right. and then another dude that yeah. walked me in. Yeah. And so I sit down in the chair, and they start hooking me up the machine. They put like this tube across my chest, a thing on my finger, heart monitor. And he's like, "Look, put your hands on your knees. Don't tap your feet. Don't tap your hands. Don't hold your breath. Blah 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 blah." I'm like, "Okay, answer yes or no. Any questions?" I'm like, "Nope." And so it starts. So you can hear the freaking machine. You can hear it behind you, like making this noise. And of course, you know, you got sweat dripping down your back. Cause you know, this is, this is for real. Like this. Oh, let me, let me back up. When he, when I did the interview with Ron, he said, look, man, don't get excited because we called you 70% of the people don't even pass the polygraph mm. 70. Now, how long was this polygraph? Do you remember? Uh, yeah. An hour, maybe hour, okay. and 15 minutes. It wasn't long. Now, but, if you, you can't get into specifics about necessarily some of the exact questions you and I yeah. did talk about this in the car earlier, but yeah. on a broad level, cause you explained that what types of things are they asking you? Sure. So, the first set of questions were very benign. Is your name Joe Tedai? Right. Are you from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania? Blah, blah, blah. There's like a term for that. Like yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. They're probably just trying to get a baseline of... I think that's it. Yeah, of what your, yeah. what your answers are. <clears throat> then you took a little, like, two-minute break, sat there, and then you asked another set of questions. They were quantifiable-type questions. So, like, for example... Have you ever done drugs? Mm. Yes. Right? Whatever. They're going to quantify that to a point where, like, well, if you've done drugs in the last 10 years, five years, like, they're, they dummy it down. But as the questions progressed, each set of questions became more and more intrusive. So all I can tell you is imagine the most personal, obtrusive questions that would make you squirm as a man. That's what they're asking you. I'm and, curious, though. Are you uh, – serious question because I've never experienced anything yeah. like this. Seeing as this is like the highest level of secrecy that the government even has to offer and you're in a room with three guys who are – you know, they're shadows basically. Yep. Do you even do you even care as much versus like if, if you were sitting on a – pod? forget a podcast. If you're just sitting with your friends and answering these questions, right. is there like a wall? Like I don't give a fuck what these guys think. Well – to be, I'm just answering it from my per. It was stressful. Mm. 
because this was the 70% don't pass. Like the chances of you passing right. us aren't good. But dude, you can't lie. They probably invented the freaking thing. And you, you know, don't the, know what's a right and wrong answer in a no, sense. Right? You really don't. Yeah. Well, I mean, look, they're not looking for choir boys. Okay. But I'm sure there are questions, I'm 100% sure, that are 100% disqualifiers. If you answer yes to that question, you're, you're failing. Yeah. You're failing, for sure. And there's a reason for that. Um, that unit really deep dives more so than any other special operations. You know, like guys from Delta and SEAL Team 6, they don't have to take polygraphs. They have a TSSCI. A, top, a what? A top secret SCI, which is sensitive compartmentalized information. It's like a caveat mm. on a on a TS clearance. It's, I don't want to say it's higher than a TS, but in reality, it is because you're exposed to very compartmentalized information. But you're saying it's not CIA top secret level. Yeah, though it's that's why they that agency goes to that next step with the polygraph and the mm. and and the, and even guys that come over from the tier one units. You know, even though they may have a TSSCI, they still go through some type of background that they kind of like police it up a little bit. Like, okay, let's just double check some things because that's what I was told. I'm not, I'm just telling you what people have told me there. So, so anyway, um, but yeah, there's very, there's questions that are a hundred percent disqualifiers and rightly so, because the way it was explained to me is, you know, we have to be able to trust you 100%. Matter of fact, Ron said, Joe, we would rather have 10 guys that we have 100% faith in than 100 guys that were like 95, like not there. Did the fact though, because at this point, like you said, you hadn't seen combat, no. right? You've been in for a long time. You right. handled a lot of different training. Like obviously you're a qualified guy for a lot of things. Right. But this is essentially to me in my head from outside the military – this feels like the kind of jump, like you're going from the eighth grade AAU star to the fucking NBA. <laughs> yeah, that's about it, bro. Yeah, um, it, yeah. It so, is. were you wondering why they why they were asking you? Did you ask a question like, "Guys, I haven't seen combat. Why am I being considered for this?" Um, so, during an interview process down the road after you pass the polygraph, and it was during my time getting my top secret clearance, uh, which took about five months mm. for them to do all the background investigations and send bro they i'll tell you something really funny here in a minute but you do an interview like a like a board interview had four guys they were like all the top mm. dudes in sad and they're all just sitting there at a table just asking you a bunch of questions and <laughs> this is how they how deep deep dive they 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 do you so the one dude asked me um so joseph um Tell us something that happened to you in high school that might reflect on your character. It's like an interview question. Yeah, right. Like, it, a, yeah, like a regular yeah, interview. Yeah, straight up. Yeah. And I'm sitting there, I'm like, high school. I said, sir, can you be a little more, um, can you be a little more, like, give me a hint. He's like, no. He's like, tell us, he goes, what happened to you in high school that would reflect on your character that we would want to know about? And I was like, what the I really didn't know what he was talking about. I hate those questions. Oh, bro. And of course, you I know, like, think of it. dude, I got sweat dripping down my back, you know, and I'm yeah. like, uh, uh, you know, deer in a headlight. And I basically said, I don't know what you're looking for. And he, they each had like this, um, dossier in front of them and he's looking, he's like, correct me if I'm wrong. Were you not suspended in 11th grade? 
Hmm. Dude, I totally forgot about it. And I was. He goes, I said, yes, sir, I was. He says, you want to tell us why? And I said, yeah. Um, the seniors had what's called like a senior skip day where all the seniors, right? Well, I was in 11th grade. A bunch of my buddies and I went and got caught <laughs> and got fucking suspended for a day. And so I told him that. And he's like, okay. But dude, they pulled my microfish from my high yeah. school. Yeah. Right? So like. I'm not surprised. Yeah, yeah. And that's the only way they could have known about it. Yeah. And um, so, yeah, man, that was it, the, the, it was a real epiphany for me. Like, this is no freaking joke. Like, they want to know what chinks are in your armor. Everybody has them. I have them. You have them. But just like any other special operations unit, whether it's special forces or SEALs or Delta, or, you know, dev group, they're looking for the right guy. Better operators than me didn't make it. I'll be the first one to admit it. There are dudes, and I'll, I'll and I'll tell you a story. Maybe for the right reasons, too. I mean, it's like, you know. Well, the story I'm about to tell you, 100%, you know, definitely. Because they they don't, because the stakes are so high in that type of work. Of course. Mistakes are really, what's well, costly in any special operations unit. But they're doing covert action stuff. It can, you know, you don't want to end up on the cover of a magazine or on the newspaper, right? So um, the stakes are a little bit higher. And I'll give you a very good example um, of what I'm talking about. So after you take your polygraph, you, 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 your clearance comes back, interview, um, physical, you had to do a physical fitness um, exam, which was like a class three flight physical, like soup to nuts, PT test, a couple other things. Um, and then um, you go to their operators course, right? So where's that? All Langley? over the place. It's all over. Okay. It's you bounce all over the country. Got it. Yeah. It's school after school after school after school after school after school. Right. And it's 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 about six months long. And <laughs> what was really funny, I I'll tell you the first place we went, and, and this I can tell you. So the very first school I went to was in I think it was in Rochester, New York, and it was at the Harris Corporation. Harris made the 117 Foxtrot, which is a radio that SOCOM, or excuse me, JSOC was using at the time, and it's the radio that Ground Branch used. I never even saw one. Mm. Like, there, that is not a radio that SOCOM used. It was just for the Tier 1 units and for Ground Branch. Never even saw one. So they sent us to Harris to where they make this thing to run us through like a week long course on, Hey, here's the radio you're going to be using now. And you know, no more of these, this is what you're using. So in walks this dude, we're all sitting in this classroom and in walks this dude, and he gets up front and he turns on this PowerPoint presentation. And it's just math that I had never seen before. And I'm kind of looking around and he's like, yeah, my name's so-and-so and I'm the engineer that wrote the algorithms for this radio. And I'm like, dude, how do you turn this thing on? Like, mm. you know, like, I don't need to see all this. I was crapping. I'm like, I ain't going to make it through the first course. You know, like, but that was just, it was more like a holy shit moment. Like, but he actually was one of the guys that designed the radio. Mm. So we stayed there for a week and it's actually a very user-friendly radio. Um, very easy. You learned how to, you know, put in your freaks and load it and download crypt and, you know, crypto and all this stuff and fills and blah, blah, blah. So that was the first school. And after that, it was just one after the next, after the next. And it, you know, some of them, 
We're mundane. Like that was a mundane course, but very needed because I yes. never seen a freaking one seventeen foxtrot. But you're, I mean, you're doing this. Obviously, there's a lot going on, which keeps your mind busy and keeps you busy just trying to keep up with it. But again, you're coming from having never been in combat, and you're now training for something where you are going in, and the only mission is kill. And you are, you are maybe not the only one, but right. you know what I mean. Like there, that's right. a that's a heavy part of it. You are going after the the worst targets in the world. Mm-hmm. You're going to be in plain clothes, depending on the place you are. Sometimes, and you're basically like going to be the highest level assassin the government has that we've ever heard of in the public is there any point where you're starting to come to grips with the fact that you're going to have to do obviously you're removing what you view as evil from the earth but like are you thinking about that like holy shit like this is about to go zero to a thousand real quick bro it was scary i'm I'm man enough to admit it was very intimidating because you're exactly right i'm basically was going to be thrown into the fire, <laughs> you know, like uh, the deep end of the pool and you better swim. Um, and m- most of the guys I worked with were former combat vets. They were either in Grenada or Panama, Desert Storm, Desert Shield. All right? SEALs and uh, Special uh, Forces. Delta, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, it had a whole plethora, you know. Uh, it was a, a, a very eclectic unit. You could have five guys in a room, Army, Navy, Air Force, Marine, you know, and and a hundred years of experience, like it was crazy. That's very intimidating when when you're on that kind of talent. Well, you had said there were guys recruited to it or in it who you had worked with and who knew you, so recommended you. But like, did you ever think about like why still they were asking you? Yeah, to this day, yeah, they're um, the the two dudes that um, that I knew that that were there. Um, I don't know, man. Maybe they just saw something I never really saw in myself. And see, that's a confidence thing, which is really odd to say that from a, a guy that was you know, Marine, Recon, and right. Army SF. You'd think you'd be confident. And I was. I, I was confident in my abilities. But there's a difference between being confident and going, I've done this for real, and I did well. You know, I didn't, you know... Buckle, Huge or what? Difference. Yeah. Oh, bro. In that you business, can't simulate that. No, no, you no. can't. Yeah, you can't. And so, mo- like I said, eighty-five percent of the dudes I worked with had some type of combat experience. This and- is this is one of those great examples of things where I'm always careful with anything in life. But yeah. let's look at this example of when I say a phrase like "If I were blank, then I would blank." You don't fucking know. No. And don't. when you're dealing with this kind of no. shit, you I don't care how trained you are, how t- you don't know. No. And I always had my own you got to remember, dude, and this is kind of funny, my like what I thought about combat is what I saw on TV. Mm, yeah. That was my go. dude, that was my freaking standard. You know, and it's not that like, you know, there's I can just tell you from where I came from, you'd hear guys on the radio under fire and it was like they're ordering a pizza. (laughs) There is no screaming. No, seriously, man, there's no screaming calm, you know, because that is how you have to operate in that environment. There's no none of that shit ever, you know, and when you work with guys at that level, it's can't like it's almost cancer. Like it, it comes it sticks to you like that calmness, like, okay, he's calm. I'm going to be calm. You know what I mean? So, because once one person starts losing their shit, 
another one's going to lose them, and then another one, and then and you can't have that. You know what was odd? I just remembered this based on you saying that you had been telling me this in the car, but you asked me, "What do you think is is the one?" Outside the box thing. I think you said it differently than that, but this is basically what you're saying is the one outside the box trait that they're looking for in all these people that they recruit to this. And what did you tell me? So, dude, one of the there's a few self confidence is is a biggie. Not that, that one. No, this was the one where you were talking about. You want guys who have faith. Oh, oh, okay, yes, gotcha. This yeah, was so, so yeah. That, yeah, so this is, dude, and I'm just telling you from what I saw, my experience, not secondhand, not he said it. I saw this with my own eyes. Um, to the man that I got to know, that I worked with, every guy had some semblance of faith, whether it was Catholicism, Christian, Protestant, whatever. They had some a semblance of a, a faith behind them, mm. and so I I heard this from one of the psychologists um, when you're going through the process, and it was a woman too, of all things. And she's like, you know, Joseph, if you look at all the warrior cultures of the past, and she's like, you know, look at the Spartans, look at the samurai, Knights Templar. Vikings, right? What did they all have, you know, in common? I'm like, <laughs> tough, Duh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and she was like, they they all had faith in something, mm. and I was like, hmm. And that was about all that was said. Like they don't, they didn't come out and just say like, oh, if you're an atheist. But I'm just telling you from what I saw, a not a lot. Every guy I worked with, when you start to get to know them. That, so interesting. Isn't that crazy, dude? Train killers. Isn't that, isn't that crazy? <laughs> but, but, but think about it, though. It makes sense. Killing in it, the name of Jesus, baby. But, but no, it gives you some peace. Because let me just tell you, man, one of the one of the guys I used to work with, I don't want to mention his name because he may even still be there. He told me, he's like, bro, this is we're not handing out cookies in front of Walmart, okay? Right. People get hurt here. People get killed here. You have to resign to your own fate. Like, mm. and once you do that, that's what these warrior cultures did. The Spartans, the, dude, they'd already written their lives off, right? They're going to die on the battlefield, right? Samurai, same thing. Vikings, same thing. Knights Templar, same thing. They fought with passion. And you're at effect. Yes. You're cool. And, and that is a very dangerous person. You can flip that script and think about the Taliban and Al-Qaeda, Dude, they're right. Very scary people to fight because they have already resigned to their own death. And when somebody does that, that is not a person you want to be fighting. And then you add the skill sets and the training. You even become more, you know, more um, uh, uh, deadly, so to speak. But yeah, I thought that was very interesting that these these dudes I worked with, and you know, we just sit around and talk about religion all the time. But once you got to know someone, you're like, well, because I came from a Catholic background. I went to um, church every Sunday. Mm. I went to catechism. You know, so I was born in an Italian, hardcore Catholic. You know, I'm not Catholic now; I'm a Christian. But this is a this is a common denominator 
that a lot of people don't understand that guys at very high levels of special operations have some, some deep faith, man. And it makes sense. I didn't never thought about it until I was there. And I'm like, wow, that makes a hundred percent sense. It makes a hundred percent sense. Um, so yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, Again, we're talking about your training and the, the different schools you were going to and everything before we got on that tangent. Gotcha. So back, you know, acquiescing to the schools, it basically lasted for six months. Um, but here's the kicker. We had about, <clears throat> let me think here for a second, about two weeks left. We were in Tyson's Corner in Virginia. We were staying mm. at the Sheraton Hotel. Had about two weeks left. Didn't know exactly when. We were told about two weeks. <clears throat> and so every morning we would meet the proctor, the, the instructor for that day down in the, um, in the uh, waiting area of the hotel. And so we'd, st- of course, we're early, of course, you know, <laughs> right? God, yeah, right. So, we're, so four of us are standing there. There was six guys left at that time. And I look over near the elevator and I see the proctor talking to two of the dudes that were in the course with us. And I'm just kind of looking, and then I see them shake hands, and the the two guys just walk back down the hallway to the elevator. And the proctor kind of just, like, walks by. She's like, come on. So we go outside, and we had a 12-pack van that we were using for training. He jumps in the driver's seat, and uh, we're all just sitting back there. And he turns around like this, and he said, you probably noticed that two of your compadres are no longer here. Does anyone want to take a wild guess why? And of course, you ain't gonna say shit, right? <laughs> you go through that course, you're all ears and no mouth, right? Yeah. You ask questions, but you're, you know, you, you're not gonna say anything. And he said, "What did we tell you day one?" Now, now you gotta remember, this is five months and you know two weeks later. Like, mm. what did you, what did we tell you day one? And I'm like, Jesus. Um, <laughs> he's like, we told you. Be on time, be in the right uniform with the right equipment. Roger that. I remember that. And he goes, we also told you, don't ever show up to training with alcohol in your breath. Oh. Those two gentlemen tied one on last night, and I could smell it on them. Dude, one guy was from SEAL Team 6. The other guy, I don't think he was from Dev Group, but they were both SEALs. Really good operators, super studs, very, very experienced schooled out dropped them boom two weeks to go that was an epiphany right there like they are not fucking around yeah whoa yes sir so how many you said it was like 12 of you in that van at that point no 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 four i graduated with four guys oh there were only four in that van so there were six at that time two guys got sent home and it was me and three other guys and that's who i graduated my graduating class had four guys now, how many cl- do they do classes simultaneously in no. different pl- only one? Yeah. Wow. yeah. Now, do, now, how does this? I don't know if you can say this part, Good. but like, how does this work? Once you graduate, are you sent to an existing team? I take it, and it could vary in the number of people, so to speak. So, um, once you graduate, that you're now operational. Um, I went home for a couple weeks, just uh, about three weeks. I went home for. Um, then I deployed. So without getting mm. into details of how that unit is organized, it's more projects. 
Mm. They got this project going on here, this project going on here, this project going on here, and then you're basically assigned to a project. And when you're assigned to these projects, as you explained at the outset with right. with this group, this is where it's not military, it's CIA because this cannot be a military type operation. But you have military people who are brought over to the CIA to help run it, no? So everybody in Ground Branch was former something. Got it. They are no longer active duty. They're out Understood. of the military. <clears throat> so they're former SF, SEAL, Delta, Mars, whatever. Um, you're recruited you know, by somebody. You get in. You make it. And then – once you're there, you get put on these projects. And does your communication happen exclusively all with those people? Or do you also have communication with, say, Langley and the the quintessential, you know, guys who are lifers at CIA? So those that is done by the case officers. Okay. The full-time case officers. So you're having contact with case officers. Yes, on, sir. Which tell people what that is. Just right. Who don't so work. case officers or like – those are the full-time guys that you hear about spies, right? Case officers the basically, world. they find people, they recruit them, they train them as assets. So for people listening who are fans of this show, obviously Bustamante from episodes 97, 107, and 126 and Jim Lawler from episode 129 are perfect examples. It's interesting to talk with you because your expertise was in the field undercover with nuclear arms deals and things like that. And it's like the whole reason we went to Iraq was because they had WMD and that turned out to not be true. That's exactly right. People ask me about that sometime. And it is, it is true that Saddam Hussein had been working on nuclear weapons before then. He had used chemical weapons against the Kurds. The Kurds are an ethnic group yes. there in Iraq. Killed thousands of them. In fact, one of his cousins was known as Chemical Ali. And Chemical Ali used... Yes. And I, yes, those guys are the quintessential case officer type. Their job is to identify, recruit, and train assets mm. to gather intel and other things for them and they handle them so when you are sent to a project air quotes there <clears throat> you're sent somewhere in the world mm -hmm. which you're not going to get into specifics of a lot of places today obviously but you're sent somewhere and your coordination on the ground usually involves some sort of case officer who yes. is then and right. your communication that happens for your job to happen effectively obviously isn't just with them it's also with the leadership of your ground branch command so to a point, um, the thing that's really cool about that unit is the ability to execute immediately. Mm. So in the military, you got to remember, you know, you always have a chain of command. You know, if you're on a special forces, a team, you've got your team commander is a captain. Normally you got your XO who's either a Lieutenant or maybe a warrant officer. Then you got your team sergeant. So when you plan and you do your op orders, you know, everything's got to be, Dress right dress. It's got to be approved. Yes. Okay. In that unit, you and I could be sitting around and, hey, we know where so-and-so's at. Go get them. It, yeah. We throw a plan together and we go do it. Um, and, of course, planning's important, but there's no – we got to run it up to the flag. There ain't no flagpole. They trust you enough at that level. That's why they have you there. You know what I mean? And let me tell you, one of the things that that proctor said to us 
in the van was very profound. And to this day, I say this to people when I coach them and when I do speaking engagements. He said, if we can't trust you to do the right thing when we're looking, mm. how am I going to trust you to do the right thing when nobody right. is watching? Right. Nobody. Yeah, because this is high. I mean, it's dude, like that, the highest risk. It, the, the, the term big boy roles apply. That's... I would have to tell you that definitely applies to that place because no one is going to go, oh, Julian, you can't do that. Mm. Oh, dude, you can't do that. You you have full autonomy. Bro, yeah. That's where the big boy roles come in. And a lot of – if you've got a narcissistic type personality, I mean, they're looking for all that shit. Yes. You can go sideways there, man. Like you can go really – I can see it, how it could happen because you are, you are given – all the tools, all the support that they're not telling is just accomplish the mission. That's it. Yeah. See that. And here's an interesting dichotomy for me. Cause again, you're a separate part, but you know, this is under the CIA branch, especially when I had Jim Lawler in here, he talked about, well, both Bustamante and Lawler talked about some of the psychological traits that CIA looks for in case officers. Right. And the main one that Jim really hammers home because he said it sounds wild to people, but you got to hear me out. Sure. Is that he said they are often looking for, usually looking for case officers who are dangerously teetering the line of sociopathy, mm -hmm. which means that once in a while they're going to hire someone who's actually a sociopath because you don't get every hiring right. Right. And the reason they want this is because they want – I won't explain it as well as he did, but they want people who are willing to do insane shit and have a pulse like that. Right. Right. And so a lot of they they view sociopathy as having like a a distant relationship with feeling things, you know, because sure. they're just willing to go in. But in what you do, I almost wonder because you even said it like they're looking for things like narcissistic personalities and stuff right. like that, which would fall in in sure. this type of personality. I almost wonder if they're if if they are in fact completely not looking for that because unlike most case officers, their job is to go turn people and get information and right. manipulate them. Your right. job is like, yo, people are going to die, bodies are going to drop. We better be right about this, and right. we have no diplomatic immunity. Right. Um. Again, I can just tell you what I saw okay. in my experience. The uh, the guys that I worked with um, were extremely intelligent, first off. That was the, one of the very first things I noticed. These guys were smart. Are you talking about your group, Ground Branch? Yes. Okay. Very, very smart. Um, very creative thinkers. They were able to apply unconventional solutions to like to a conventional problem. Mm. So you got to remember at the end of the day, dude, That's everybody to put it. Yeah. It, you know, it's all the basics, right? Everybody's like, Oh dude, show me some real high speed, this and high speed that. And why are these units so good? I'm going to tell you exactly why they're so good. Cause they got the basics down. So freaking cold, you know, uh, how's that saying go amateurs train? Do they get it right? Professionals train? Do they can't get it wrong? That's yes. that's why units like Ooh, that's good. Yeah, that's, that's good. why units like Delta and and SEAL Team Six are so freaking good and Ground Branch because you, they've got guys that have the basics down so cold they can do it in their sleep and that is high speed. You know, I always tell people, you know, you know, if you can do the seven fundamentals of shooting: sight alignment, sight picture, grip stance, breathing, follow through, and trigger press while somebody's shooting at you, 
you're a bad mofo. Mm. That's high speed. That's, That's high cool. speed. That's high speed. Yeah. Because guess what? 99% of the people out there can't do two of them on a flat range. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So that that's that's what a lot of people don't understand is this, these, these units they they're really 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 good at the basics and once you get the basics down then then you can start adding on more advanced skills more advanced skills but if you don't have that foundational basics down it's like the mud hut you got to have the basics and that's what they're looking for and so but getting back to the type of person you know very intelligent creative thinkers critical thinkers very calm. Yeah. Um, and see, that's where I was really nervous because like, I didn't know how I was going to react in combat. You Just like you said, you don't know. You don't know. But let me tell you, the first time that I got into a tick, that's when I realized this isn't like TV. That You know what I mean? There are the sounds of combat, the smells of combat, all the, it, it's got a weird pace to it. Like it's not what you see on TV. How quick question though, like how long, cause you said you'd get dropped in for what's called a project, mm-hmm. but these projects could be just based on what you were telling me in the car. I'm using broad examples here, sure. but they could be everything from being dropped into a random city somewhere where you're in plain clothes and you just go mark a guy or something, mm-hmm. or it could be in an actual combat zone where you're in, where you're wearing fatigues and everything. And like, sure. now it's more what you're describing. How long before you experience like the combat zone project? So my first deployment was to Iraq. And okay. the first time, this is actually kind of funny, the first time that I actually pulled the trigger shooting at somebody was at a hotel that mm-hmm. we were staying at, and our hotel got attacked in the middle of the night by a bunch of douchebags that showed up outside, shot, shot RPGs at the hotel, and, nice. oh yeah, like woke up everybody, and, mm-hmm. I, and I ran up on the roof with a bunch of other dudes. And they were across the street in an abandoned building, and they, you could see their muzzle flashes. And it was like whack a mole. Had you been asleep when they started? Attacking? Oh, I was dead asleep. Okay. Oh yeah, that's a shitty way to wake up, man. I'll bet. Like you know, you go in an instant adrenaline dump, and it was crazy, bro. I wish I had a camera. There were dudes up there like in flip flops and their their shorts with body armor on, <laughs> and their M4s shooting off the roof at the dudes across the street, and that was the first time that I actually heard and seen and smelled the sounds of combat hey guys just a reminder 23.5 and i are going to be dropping the show branded fashion line this week make sure you get your stuff while it's live because this is going to be a pop-up shop so it is a limited time offer been very very excited to get this out to you 23.5 has been working so hard on it the designs look great we're going to have 12 to 15 items i believe in the final drop like we've gone through probably about 60 70 iterations but we're putting it down to 12 to 15 and i'll be announcing this on youtube instagram and on all the socials when it goes live so make sure you get in there right when you see that see you this week and then the big army showed up like 15 minutes later and with their APCs and shit, and it was all done. Now, was that a blur, or were you hyper aware of every second from the moment you actually, like, for real woke it up? It was kind of a blur. Like, I remember like, like I remember hearing brass hitting the ground, ding, 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 like, from rounds getting ejected out of a guy's magazine. Like, I remember hearing that. Adrenaline's a weird thing, dude. Like, it, like get tunnel vision, auditory exclusion, fine motor skills gone. Um, but it's crazy what your brain will pick up. I do remember seeing guys up there in their skivvies and flip flops. I'm like, man, this would be a crazy video right mm-hmm. here, you know, with their body armor on and shit. 
but it's the smells, like the sense of smell supposedly is the strongest sense that brings back memories. So, and I've got a story about that, a helicopter crash that killed one of my best friends and the smell of uh, gasoline Mm -hmm. after that, like even to this day when I pump gas, I instantly go right back to the helicopter crash because there was gas all over the place after it crashed. So were you you scared at all? Yeah, fuck yeah. Yeah, dude, I ain't gonna lie to you. You know, I, I think anybody says, oh, I was never scared. Well, right. dude, now you're one of those people, okay? And I'm going to say it right now uh, you know, on your podcast. Fear is a good thing, okay? It is a gift. It's, yeah. it's a good thing. People, they're like, oh, I was never afraid. or oh, Dude, that's not normal, okay? We're human beings. Nobody wants to get shot. Nobody wants to get hurt. Nobody wants to get killed, okay? It's how do you manage that fear? Yes. That's the difference. Yeah, I was scared. But it's how you manage it. And I'll tell you what really, really helps is being around other guys that are as calm. They're ordering, I used to say, they're ordering a pizza. Yeah. And when they're calm, it kind of calms you down, you know? And I worked with those kind of guys. And it was, dude, it was so humbling. Like, mm. it really was. It was so humbling. Um, I can't even really put it into words to see guys operate under that kind of environment and stress. And and I'll give you an example. So again, a lot of the guys they recruited were from Delta and from SEAL Team 6. Very experienced guys, tier one operators, right? Mm -hmm. Super, super trained. Um, I asked these guys on private occasions. I'm like, hey, let me ask you a question. Like compared to what you did over there, are these missions more dangerous? And, And Oh, absolutely. Why? I asked them. They said, well, when you're over CAG, you got an AC-130 flying above you. You got fast movers. You've got, you know, DAPs. You've got a QRF, blah, blah, blah. You got bad guys on this side of the wall. You call a 105 down from AC-130, right. boosh, gone. Yeah, no. None of that shit. None of it. Why? Too high profile. You're putting an American signature on it. Helicopter gets shot down. Not good. Right. What about the missions where you're actually wearing fatigues though and stuff too? Aren't you saying like I am Team America when you do that? Or? So these 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 projects that I was telling you about. Yes, um, I love that word. Projects. Yeah. Well, that's what they were. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah, that's yeah. what they called them. It's a great word. Yeah. For it. Um, you know, like in Afghanistan, they had various units, Afghan units, that were set up by. Um, the organization for what you do ground yeah, branching. Yeah, exactly. Matter. And you would go with these guys on missions. So you may have two ground branch guys and 50 Afghan commandos. Do you see what I'm saying? Yes. But when you do that, isn't that like you're overt? Like if you're on the battlefield and other people see you, they're like, Oh, those guys are too. Look just like them. We wore the same mm. uniforms, the same Afghani flags, the same kit. So you beer. are undercover in that way. Well, it's not really undercover. You're just blending it. You're being yes. the, you're being the gray man, right? right? You're be you're. I could show you pictures of me with guys I worked with. Yeah, and you're like, pick, I'd be like, pick me out. And I'm just trying to picture it. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. No, like, I didn't get. And everyone listening right now, we didn't. Even people listening who are in the military, right, who fought over there and stuff. They weren't in this division. Like they right. may even they may know what it is, but like I don't know. So I'm like trying to picture like how would I not know looking over at Joe that he's obviously here on behalf of America. Right. So that makes sense. So yeah, you're you're like the the token white guy, right? You know what I'm saying? <laughs> yes. So, it, it, but dude, remember, you know, you're 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 growing your beard out, right? 
Um, you could pass. Yeah. Dude, I'll tell you what. When I was in Iraq, people thought I was Kurdish. I had Iraqis thinking I was from, from Kurdistan. Like, I had that look. I don't know what that look is, but, like, no one ever. When we went up to Erbil, which is up near the border, and it's that's basically Kurdistan, I never got a second look on the street one time. It was really weird, which is great because that's where you want to be. Some guys can't pull that off, right? So, um, but yeah, man. Um, yeah, you look like I'm just pulling up a picture of you right here. I'll put that in the corner of the screen. I mean, oh shit, dude. But I had a long, <laughs> but I even had a longer beard than that when I was over there. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And and dude, there were times I went out dressed just like a native in mm. their clothes. You know, um, I've got a picture on my wall on a horse in Afghanistan dressed up like the Taliban. With a black turban on and the whole freaking nine yards, like yeah, yeah. So, but yeah, that's that's the whole the whole thing with that unit is like you don't. Yeah, they got stupid money. I mean, millions and millions and millions of dollars, but you don't have those assets. One time, one mission I went on, I, I and I a predator crashed, a UAV predator. Mm crashed and i had to go in with some guys and retrieve all the sensitive information off of it mm. um and we had um two apaches and an a10 on station that was the only time and it was only because it was just all americans like i couldn't go in there with our afghani counterparts because our our chief of base is like uh-uh you need to have american assets to go retrieve this because it was a sensitive thing yes. so you had to retrieve all it crashed and anyway that was a crazy mission because this they had one predator flying out and another one flying in to have overlapping coverage on a target mm. and the one flying out shit the bed crashed yeah. so they kept the other one flying in orbit until our until we showed up and as we're flying in they're like hey man there's like seven bad guys on the crash site right now <laughs> so we knew we were flying into a shit storm um but that was the only time and literally it was Perfect timing. We landed about 500 meters away because it crashed in a ravine. Mm. And just as we were getting off the bird, like an A-10 flies over, Warthog, like, oh, yeah. And they told us, and then that two Apaches. But that was it. One time. After that, dude, you're on your own, man. Like, you're you getting a tick. You're fighting your way in. You're fighting your way out. There's not going to be an AC-130 dropping a 105 on them. There's no DAP showing up. No cure. Mm-mm. Kind of changes the, you know, the environmentals of combat a little bit, um, knowing that those are the rules that you, you know, that you're going to be playing by. And, and and I talked to a lot of guys, you know, that weren't in ground branch. Like, he was like, fuck that, man. We don't leave people behind. You don't, I'm not saying they leave you behind, but it's just a different schematic. Like, this mm. is the way you're going to have to operate. You're not going to be calling these other assets to bail you out if shit goes wrong because it's too high profile it so anyway yeah so that one uh that one mission I'm, I'm, i mean i can honestly tell you that's the only time that i knew we had support um normally um yeah it was you another guy and maybe 40 afghan commandos well actually on that note, I, I kind of asked this a little bit ago, and I think we got off it. But in that example, you were saying like, oh, it would be two of us and a bunch of Afghan rebels. When you're dropping in with Ground Branch, though, are you allowed to say like, 
whether it was normal to have like two or three of you versus could it sometimes be 30 of you? Like what, what type of cadence was it? Very good question, actually. Um, it just depended on the mission. Okay. Um, size of the compound, size of the building, um, you know, how many bad guys you thought were on, you know, at the site you were going to. And this all comes to you in Intel, right? In an Intel package, hopefully. <laughs> Not all the time. <laughs> but sometimes, I mean, you know, you don't have all of the Intel you want. But to answer your question, it it, it was all mission-driven. Um, the way we tried to operate was with the minimum amount of people to accomplish the mission. Why? Lower signature, right? Mm. Lower signature. Yeah. So if you looked at a compound and said, all right, they think there's six bad guys there and they, you know, there's four outbuildings and this, that, okay, we need two, four, six, eight, ten. Like you start just doing the math, mm. right? Um, and then, um, you kind of like reverse engineer it from there. But, uh, I've been on a mission where it was just me and one other guy, one other Grand Branch guy, mm -hmm. and I've been on a mission where it was just me and 60, let me go, 65 Afghan commandos. Big target. Just you. So you would me, go on missions sometimes where you are alone. Oh, with me and 65 other Afghan commandos. Yeah, but yeah, like yeah. alone oh, with yeah. your, wow. All the time. That was common. Wow. Yeah, 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 dude. That was common. They that, really are giving you autonomy. Holy yeah. shit. Oh, yeah, that's what I'm saying. And that's where it's so important that the you know these projects, that they recruited the right guys, too, mm. from regardless of what country. You had to make sure. And I, I will tell you, um, the, the Afghan counterparts that we worked with, um, one of the um, – what's the word I want to use? One of the requirements – was that either their mother, father, brother, or sister were killed by the Taliban or Al-Qaeda. Uh, because... They wanted that vengeance. And, dude, let me tell you something. The Afghans are kind of like the Hatfield McCoys. A lot of people don't know this shit. But, like, if you, you know, somebody kills somebody in your family, dude, 20 years later, yeah. if somebody gets the opportunity, they're going to dunce you. Yeah. That's just their culture, right? They're so, not the only culture like that, oh, too. Oh, exactly. Yeah. 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 So you use that to your advantage. I respect that. Right. Yeah, for sure. So that was one of the things that we, uh, when those projects are set up, those are kind of like the, the, you know, your left and right limit. Like they need to be this, 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 and this. And, you know, um, this is really important because that's a loyalty thing. You can pay these guys and they were paid well, um, but money only goes so far. Once you get down to like, you know, I want payback. And a lot of these guys, well, I don't say that, maybe. So you guys went for faith, but in them you wanted vengeance. Yeah, and they had faith too. Don't, I mean, of course. I mean, very deep, deep-seated faith. But they were motivated yes, to do the work. That's what I mean. They had the proper motivation to put themselves out there. And, dude, let me tell you, the bad guys found out that they were working for the Americans. Pff, dude, game over for them. Like, yeah. Oh, And yeah. everyone they love. So they were at huge risk. I mean, I, I'd even say bigger risks than we were, for sure, because our families were at risk. But, um, yeah, man, they were they were very motivated to do the work. Um, of course, they went through a selection process and had to go through training. I would say out of, let's just say, you know, we had a 80-man force somewhere. I would, in, in Afghanistan, I would say half, 30% were former Mujahideen guys. 
Oh, from the 80s. Uh-huh. Yeah. They were young back then, but they were still, so they were highly experienced. Oh, yeah. We would actually be on patrols and stuff. Like, oh, yes, Mr. Joe, this is where we ambushed the Russian car. I'm like, get the fuck out of here, man. Like, I'm like picking up rocks and shit. Like, I'm bringing this shit home. Like, you know what I mean? Like, this is cool. But no, for real, man. Like, they would show us, like, where they used to ambush Afghan, uh, or excuse me, um, Russian convoys and all kinds of stuff. So these, wow. these are some badass dudes, man. Like, they were legit. They were legit. They were very good at what they did. Um, you just have to understand their culture. There's, you know, when it's time for them to pray. You know, you you have to you have to understand, and that's all the winning of hearts and minds. You know, they have to respect you too. Because remember, yes. man, if they're putting their life on the line for you, they better like you. Better you be gotta, worth it. Yeah. So that was a biggie. Like you had a again, right guy for the right job. Right. You can't go in there like Johnny Homewrecker, you know, and freaking upset an apple cart. Those people that rotated through these projects and these programs, they have they had to have the right mindset. When you went in there, you had to know how to, you know, work with foreign nationals. Like, you had to understand their culture. You had to understand how they think, you know, what motivates them, what upsets them. Like, there was a lot to it besides this. I mean, dude, I can teach anybody to do this. I can teach a monkey how to shoot a gun. Yeah. It's everything that leads up to that last two seconds that actually made us. This is... That's nothing. Anything high stakes in the world, it's all between the ears. 100%. The rest of it, you know, that's yeah. that's 80, 90% of it. The rest of it, if you're physically able, depending on yeah. what it is, it could be taught. 100%. For sure. Yes, sir. Yeah, and, and people don't understand it. They think it's all bang, bang, shoot them up. That's just, you know, you're doing that, to be quite honest with you, when you're at that level, you're doing it on a subconscious level anyway. Mm. You know, if you're doing CQB and you're going into a room and you're going to have the wor- you're worrying about side alignment, side picture, grip stance, breathing, fall. Yep. You can't process the yes. freaking room. It needs to be on a subconscious level. And that's why you shoot a lot, you know? And so it becomes, I hate the word muscle memory because your muscles don't have memory. It's all the neural pathways in your mind. And that's a whole nother thing. But that's how deep diving they get into this stuff. They make you understand, look, it's not muscle memory. It's the neural mm. pathways. I know when my gun's right here, boom, that center mass. Like I know it's a shot that I can take. So that just takes reps a lot of reps good reps proper reps you know not doing it half-assed doing it correctly yeah. so um it's for that years of training though by the way it's huh? your, you were just training for so many goddamn yeah. years it's yeah. where it comes in man yeah and and you know what's so fun what's funny dude is uh i can honestly say there were things that i wasn't doing exactly correct when it came to mm. shooting, especially pistol shooting, that's what actually separates the rock stars from the groupies in special operations. If you want to know, like everybody can shoot a carbine, but a pistol is unforgiving. It's unforgiving. Mm. You, any little mistake, it's going to show up on the target, but you know what I mean? So you got to get everything right. They make it look so stupidly easy in movies. Uh, it's such it's a joke. Not, yeah. I mean, it's not, I mean, it gets to a point where, yeah, it becomes easy. But I trained with um, Jerry Barnhart, who back in the day was like a 10-time Ipsic world champion pistol shooter. Mm. And I went to one of his courses and um, when I was with Ground Branch. And he said to us, um, once you get to a certain level, you know, obviously like his level or you know a high level of proficiency, every day you don't shoot, you lose 3% of your ability. 3%. Three, that's a lot. Yeah, I didn't think it was until you think about it. A like, month, you're out. 
That's right. Well, technically, no, my math is off. But like, I mean, you're, you you're can fucking... still you can still shoot, obviously, but you're not at that razor's edge. You don't have that sub one second draw, right? You just don't because you you need it needs to be caught. That's why units mm. like that shoot a lot yeah. because you have to maintain that proficiency, and you're constantly just sh- sharpening the sword, sharpening the sword. Sharp- you know, you know what makes me think of actually. This is a random one, mm-hmm. but. Because I've never done this, but you ever hear from those guys who do like one week or two week fasts or something? Yes. Yeah. I wonder if it's like when you eat for the first time, if the muscle memory from eating is not perfect. Right? Yeah. And this could be like on a parallel field. Like sure. your ability to shoot is literally a part of your everyday survival, like oxygen sure. and food and mm-hmm. water. And so if you go a week without it, you're a little off. Sure. You know? Yeah, definitely. And and I can tell you just some personal experience, you know, like I don't shoot as much as I used to. I'd love to, but you know, I, I just don't. And I went to the range the other day and I, I couldn't save my life to get my jaw under a second. It was like 0. 0.1, 1.1, 1.2, 1.25. I couldn't break mm. that second mark because it's the little nuances. If you're just off a little bit, there's two tenths of a second. Eh, yeah. Done. You know, and that's a big number. A sub one second draw is like pretty freaking fast. That's respectable. Now, is it realistic in combat? No, but if you can do it, it's it basically is telling you you've got all the fundamentals down really, really yes. well. Are you going to be able to do that with kit on? No, like no, you're not. But it's good for a confidence thing. Like, yeah, man, I got a sub one second draw. You know, just static on the range with no kit on. But it's not realistic in a combat situation. Yeah. But it's telling you you're doing everything right, which is programming your brain that hey man, I've got the confidence to do this, and that's a that's a huge thing. Absolutely, you know, is having the confidence, and, and not you know, I just did a speaking engagement about this uh, in Florida, and I was talking to this company, big packaging company, and I told them you know the number one attribute for top performers, number one proven fact is self confidence. Proven fact. Mm. And so I told him, like, being self-confident has to do with mastering the basics, right? Yes. I got this solid foundation. Like, you can't break it down. It's, you know, it's brick. It's not mud. Um, And I and I told him it's imperative because uh, it was her salespeople. And I was talking to her, like, that your salespeople understand how to come back from rebuttals, et cetera, et cetera. They have to have it down cold. Because if they don't, that self-confidence is going to waver. But it's not just in their ability. Like where I came from, you had to have confidence in yourself, confidence in your teammates, mm. confidence in your equipment, confidence in your leadership, confidence on your the intel you're getting. I mean, on and on and on and on, right? So if, if one of those tenants is kind of like, oh, man, you know, I don't know about so-and-so, man, like that creates doubt. And you, mm. you just, you just really, there's no room for that in that business. I mean, it, there's really not. And the so, pow- dude, the power of the mind in anything. Oh yeah. The older I get, the more I understand that. I'm like, mm. some of those people that were talking to me, they were spot on. I didn't think about that shit when I was 20, but you let one idea even build into a second. It's like planting a root of a weed and you got to get deeper and deeper the more it grows. Dude, one of the things that's so funny um, when I teach um, shooting is I talk about some really in the weeds uh, psychological stuff that people have never heard of, like the RAS. Have you ever heard of that? The R A S, the reticular activating system. 
it basically what it is, it's a part of your brain that acts as a filter. Um, so your brain processes about 11 million bits of information a second, but the conscious brain can only process about 50. So think about that. Overload. Uh, completely overload. Yeah. And it's the rat and, and people listen, Google it. I mean, you read it. I'm not pulling this out of my butt. This is stuff that I was taught when I was with this particular organization because they wanted you to understand how your brain works because when you can understand it then you buy into it like oh that's why we're training like this ah i get it not like well julian told me to do this so i'm just going to do it no that don't work you have to buy into it and understand how your mind works and the ras is one of them um the other thing was uh, proprioception and i'm Pro- what's it called I may be mispronouncing this word, proprioception. I'll look it up. Yeah, and it's basically what it is, is how your body reacts in time and space in a particular situation. Did I get that right, bro? Basically, yeah. Perception or awareness of of the position and movement of the body. And then use an example, exercises to improve balance and... How do we how do we say this? Pro- yeah, pro- proprioception. Yeah, proprioception. Okay. That's it. Proprioception. Dude, never heard of it before. Didn't hear it in the Marines. Didn't hear it in the Army. Yeah. But th- it's it's how your body reacts in time and space. And one of the examples they gave us is like, you ever seen like a gymnast on a balance beam? Yes. And all of a sudden they start to fall and they go, whoop. But yep. they their arms know exactly where to go to stop them. That's it. Ah. But it applies shit. to CQB, close quarters battle. And they explain it. I'm like, Oh my God, they got this shit. everything. They have figured this shit out to the umpteenth, like. Fuck yeah. Like, holy shit. Never heard of it. Never. And I even, I even teach SWAT guys and former special operations guys. I didn't even heard of this stuff. Wow. You know, like never even heard of it. And I didn't hear of it, but this is the kind of stuff they teach you because they want you to buy into it. So you have confidence in why you're doing this. You know, um, they even said like, look, if we told you you're going to bust through that door, there's a dude in here with a gun for real. Are the tactics that you're going to use the tactics that you're going to use? Are you going to go? I'm not sure if I do that, then you better not do it. Like you better be bought in that what you're doing works because that creates doubt, doubt creates fear, blah, 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 blah. They want to take away decision-making. They want it to be set reaction yeah and and that you're that you believe in what you're doing yes. so you have ultimate you know the whole speed surprise violence of action you know for cqb um that's part of the violence of action it's like you know i'm better trained than you i've got better tactics than you i'm stronger than you i have better like it's a psychological thing speed and surprise speak for themselves but violence of action is a, really a mindset in in your time, I'm curious, like in your time spent with case officers out in the field over the years, did you guys ever compare notes on what your training looked like? No. You didn't? No. I'd I, be very curious about that just because like I'm sure you guys had a lot more special forces type shit that was integrated into yours. But like a lot of the psychological stuff they're putting you through, I wonder how similar it is. The only thing on that note that I know – that my training overlapped theirs. And this was a fluke to be quite honest with you. Um, during the operators course, you do um, a piece of the course is surveillance and counter surveillance training. Right. Yes. But 
they have what's called the short course and the long course. The short course is a week on foot and week in vehicles. That's what you're supposed to go to. What What do you mean a week on foot? So uh, you do a week walking, like just walking around. In doing surveillance. Places. Yes, doing surveillance and counter surveillance. Then you get in vehicles and do it, which in vehicles is much harder. Right, so you're out. They take you out into like a real field to do that. Oh obviously. yeah, you're out in the city. You're in yeah. a city doing it for real. Oh yeah, this yeah. is all like true training, dude. Yeah. You're out amongst people. Like, really... You can't do that on like no, a base and on no, a farm. No, you know no, you can't I mean? notionalize like, that shit, no. dude. You got to go out there and do it because yeah. there's there are elements and environmentals that play into shit that you're like, God, I never even thought about that. Absolutely. But I ended up going to the long course, which was two weeks on foot and two weeks um, in vehicles, and that's what the case officers go to. I just got lucky. I don't even know to the how that happened, but that was I got to go to it. So that was like the only training that I know overlapped with them. But just understand, they're the job of a case officer is extremely difficult, and it takes a lot of skill and tradecraft and you know stuff mm-hmm. like that, which we got into a bit, you know. Um, but it's a different mission, you know. Their their job and what I did, oh, yes, it's two different things, of course. Now, I will tell you, um, <laughs> uh, our chiefs of base, uh, good dudes. I've worked with a few that were kind of hard to handle, uh, kind of like old, you know, uh, Cold War type guys. Mm. But we actually had a few guys that wanted to go on missions with us and, you know, couldn't say, like, you ain't freaking going. But we're like, sir, you know, can't afford to get you you know, starched, like, this is not a good idea, but they were just, they wanted, and I love those guys because they wanted to actually see what goes on. Do you know what I mean? Yes. That's not their job, but they wanted to see it. So on one occasion, the guy was super insistent and he was just like, well, you know what? I'm going, I'll stay in the vehicle, but I want to, I want to observe, like, what am I going to say? No, he's your boss, you know, for, for, for lack of a better word. Um, but, um, but yeah, man, um, they, again, just like that word proprioception. I mean, that is the difference. Um, when people are listening, you, they just take you to a different level of understanding. And when you can understand what you're doing, you can apply that to your training and go, ah, Mm. now I know why I don't do anything that has to do with fine motor skills because you lose all your fine motor skills under stress blood pulls from all your extremities your your vital organs right so if you're doing any kind of shooting that has to do with fine motor skills you're screwing up bad Mm. it's all gross motor you dummy it down keep it simple because complex things and things that you can't manage become unmanageable under stress and in a combat, the fog of war, it becomes unmanageable. So you keep it simple, keep all your techniques and your tactics and everything just is as simple as you can. Obviously there's times that it's not going to be, but that, that is why they're so good at the basics. Cause they, they're just faster, like doing CQB, right? Guys are like, well, Joe, like what's the difference between us doing it in a unit? Like we came from, well, wait, CQB close quarters battle, like okay. room clearing, right? Well, speed is one of the things. Guys that are really, really good at it are very fast at it. Their footwork is impeccable, and it doesn't sound like that's a big deal, but it is because it's conservation of movement, like button hooking into a room mm-hmm. or turning a corner, making dynamic turns. Turns that's all has to do with technique, 
right? And if you're not showing the proper technique, what another person would do, even though it might only take three tenths or four cents of a tech that second, that's too long. You know, mm, that's too long. Yeah. You know what I mean? The way your muzzle comes into a room and your body, I mean, everything is just dialed down to such a finite detail. I loved it. Like that. I can tell. Dude, I can see, that, I can see your eyes reliving man, it right dude, now. Dude, that's what I was salivating for. Like, I want to know how the best of the best do this shit. Right? I want to know the finite details. I want to obsess over. Dude, it even came down to the kind of rubber that was on our boots. Yeah. Like, what kind of rubber is best for shoes for doing CQB? None of this detail surprise. I don't know how people out there listening feel about this, but like, none of this detail surprises me. For 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 organizations like this at this high level, I would imagine it's psycho shit. You know what I mean? It's what like think about the stuff they're asking you to go do. Right. And and like they're worried about your safety too because they ain't helping oh, you if you get caught. Yeah. Oh, dude. No, they support you for sure, dude. They want you. To, they set you up for success. You just can't have a bad day. Yes. If you got a bad day, that's on you and, you know, things are going to probably not go well for you. So you have to obsess over the details, right? I mean, obsess because like I tell like my coaching people, give me a, show me a way in the gym to give me a 1% advantage over that guy. I want to know what it is. 1%. Yeah. Give me a 1% advantage because you know what? That might be what you need. That 1% to save your ass or to be faster than somebody pulling a gun up and you're able to draw and shoot or whatever. So um, they weren't – and that's that's another thing. Like, and they again, they had this down so cold. They – when you went through the course and you were training, training, it was little victories. Not like, oh, I want to bench press 500 pounds and I can only mm. bench th- – dude, that ain't going to happen. But, hey, I want to knock two-tenths of a second off my draw time. Victory. I want to lock, knock 15 seconds off my run time. Victory. They get you in that winning mindset. Win, 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 win. And you build it. Yeah, yeah. man. Not win, win. Oops, I screwed up. I failed. Win, win, win. Oops, I failed. I screwed up. Like, that doesn't work. Like, you have to get in that winning mindset. And it's little victories. It, it, minute, minute. Oh, I did it. It, it, it. it seems inconsequential at the time. But if you add it all together, sure. it's massive. Yeah. It's massive. So, um, and again, that's, I never thought I would make it into a unit like that. I really didn't, you know, Um how long was that training again? Six months. Well, it, actually, ours was six months and two weeks because the surveillance, surve, uh, the surveillance counter surveillance piece was two weeks longer. Okay. And we gra- was funny. See, that's man. not like that's not that long considering no. like all the shit. Oh, and it was nonstop. That's what I'm saying, dude. Like, it wasn't like weekends off. It was Bing, 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 Bing. You were going from place to place to place to place. You were either on an airplane, hotel, or training. Because my brain, when you start talking about this, goes to two years. Hmm. Like it just does. But the fact that you got that's wild. But see, they're already taking. I know they're taking yeah, seals. They're and already stuff, taking guys that have a really good foundational background yes. in special operations. All they're doing is is the way the way the first proctor said, "We're going to smear some black on you." That's <laughs> what he said. We're gonna smear some black on you, and I'm like, freaking, hey man, smear away. Like that's what I'm here for. Um, and um, 
Yeah, man, there were some pretty, there were some pretty interesting things that, um, you, you know, you are think, you allowed to talk about that surveillance training? Like, yeah, so I, I can't tell you like how we did it, okay. but yeah, like, yeah, that's, I mean, that's, yeah, that's, that's out there. Like the surveillance, counter surveillance, it's a no brainer. You know, how to, how to, you know, watch somebody get a pattern of life, a POL, find the weak link in it, and that's when you get them. But if they're dropping you into whatever, some random city, wherever it is. Yeah. Are you watching random people that, that they know are going to be there? Or are you, like, how, that's, that's where I'm a little confused. Cause like, I do think, like, my friend Andy, who we've talked about, he, one little thing he does on the side mm-hmm. with his business is a couple times a year he'll go train people mm-hmm. in a city like how to surveil. Sure. And so they just drop into like St. Pete and they play games or whatever. Right. Are you guys playing games versus like actually trying to get a beat on the random guy standing right there? You're talking about for training. Yes. Okay, so they had role players. Got it. So it was and it was uh a training event that was structured. Right, it was structured, and it was structured to throw you curveballs too. Mm. Right, so what do you do if this happens? And that's why I loved it was two weeks because the first week of like learning how to do surveillance, you're getting the basics down, and it's like all right, it's done. But that second week is now you can start adding some tradecraft stuff to it, mm. right? And you're really starting to like dial in, like like ah. what? Um, changing your appearance. Hmm. So if you're surveilling someone and they start getting a feeling that they're being followed, how to dash into a place, change your appearance, and come right back out. Uh, Stuff like that. I mean, yeah, shit like that. And it it gets more and more in depth, but you couldn't really do it if you only do it for a week because they're still learning the the process and, you know, how to do SDRs, surveillance detection routes, and all this shit. And it's, it's very detailed. Yes. But if you only do it for a week, it's like, all right, I got it. But you didn't get to add the tradecraft piece. And that's when it gets sexy. That's when you're like, this is fucking cool. So you really like Robin Joseph A. Banks when you're doing that? Oh, dude, it's freaking cool. Huh? You're doing that for real when you're doing this, though, right? The training training piece, like I said, it has role players there. But yeah, you're out in a city doing it. Yeah, so they they can't walk in behind you like, hey, sorry, we're training at the CIA. No. (laughs) (laughs) Listen, that's who taught us. Here you go. (laughs) There's not No, dude, you're doing it and you're hiding in plain sight. But you have to do it like that because that's the way it's going to be. Right. You know? Um, And I I'll be honest with you, that was some of the coolest training because they had so many role players. Again, mm-hmm. money. Plenty of money. Plenty of money. Make it as real as possible. And they even had um, the police on the, uh, they're like, if you see this guy, roll him up. Just question him. Oh, yeah. Because you had a cover for status, cover for action. Oh, yeah. They told us all about it. Like, oh, yeah, the cops are looking for you, too. And if you get caught, like, you're out, right? Um. I don't know if you were out. Now, you probably would have been out if you didn't stick to your cover for status, cover for action. But they weren't going to arrest you, but they oh. were probably told, like, what are you doing here? Why are you here? What do you? And if you say, oh, I'm, I'm training, like, eh. You know, yeah. Interesting. I, yeah, I'm here for a convention. You know, there's a software convention in town. And, yeah, like, just stick to your shit. You know what I mean? Cause that's Very what interesting. You know what I mean? Yeah, because that's what they're looking for. Can you... Because you didn't know at the time mm-hmm. that the cops were in, but they told you like, oh yeah, man, every cop in town had your pictures. And right. I'm like, well, God bless, man. Right. Um, but yeah, that was really, that was fun. And where you do that training is an extremely complex environmental. 
Uh, well, you do it in Washington. Um, Washington, oh. D.C. Oh, they would do it every that's where, time? That, that's where I did my surveillance piece, and it's counter surveillance. And if you've ever been to I'm like- I'm almost surprised at that, that they do it right there. But no, dude, if you think about it, because you've got buses and taxis and the tram, and you have Georgetown, and everything's like right there, the mall area, thousands of people, like when you're walking through- I know, but why not do New York? Why not do um, Miami? I don't know. They, they may, but that's where I did mine, and I tell you, it was very challenging. It was very, very challenging, um, and that's good because they want yeah. to put you in a situation where it's not easy, you know. Because let me tell you something, dude. It, it's easy to lose somebody, and there's different ways to do surveillance. There's discreet to lose, discreet not to lose, yep. depending on what who the target is and the mission. But like, it's very easy, especially in vehicles, to lose somebody. Would you be working on and off like? yourself on the street or and then also where it's you guys in teams like how would it go yeah so you start and again one thing i do want to say is that is not the job of a ground branch guy like they've got real no bullshit teams that's all they do and they're so good you would never know you're being never right never even if you were trained you'd never know you're being followed um, they just wanted to round you out so you understand, like they wanted to give you tools, right? To put in your tactical toolbox, just in case you ever had to do it. But um, you would start out uh, understanding like surveillance detection routes and you worked in three man teams. That was a surveillance mm. team, three guys. You're They're- wearing a mic in your ear? Yes. You got to have comms, man. Yep. Very discreet comms. Yeah. You, you, you can't do that without comms. You can try, but. Make it happen. Did you get a, I mean, because I'm thinking of the years you're doing this, you were called about this, right, pre-9-11. So you're doing this in the 2000-ish area. Like, yep. Did you get to look behind the curtain at how capable, even during your career, not necessarily just during your training, but how capable CIA disguise tactics were, and did any of it shock you? Um... I never like put on like fake noses and all like stuff you're talking about. Sure, um, but it could be anything, growing but... beards and darkening your beard and maybe your skin and wearing clothes of the locals. Yes, but that's about as far as it went. Never, never had the opportunity to actually do a disguise like you're talking about. That is again that falls like under case officer stuff and and you know um, the tradecraft part. Um, but no, I never. They weren't as focused on that no. with you, obviously. Mm-hmm. So no. they wanted you guys to know how to do the surveillance stuff at an expert level. But that's really yeah. That's and to be honest with it. you, during my entire time with them, I only did the surveillance piece as part of the mission one time. Interesting. One time. That's kind of surprising. Actually. Well, normally you have to understand there that work has already been done. Like they, oh, you're just sent in to kill. <laughs> the, well, but no, dude, that's not. It's you know, look, man, it's hard to talk with a hole in your head. Yeah. The the yes, the, 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 the mission is try to capture these people because you capture one fish that tells you about another fish that tells you about another fish, right? It's, you you got to try to get information on these people, but sometimes um, they fight back, and when they fight back, you have no choice um, but to fight back. And it really depends, but a lot of the case officers, meaning once again the people who are undercover, uh, under some sort of right. whatever, who work for the CIA, who you would be doing this stuff in support of, 
a lot of them, their job is just that, the undercover part, and then guys like you come in, and then once in a while you do have a case officer who's kind of both and can do those things. So I would imagine you didn't really do a lot of work with those guys. No, so Ground, Bra- Ground Branch had their own case officers that were assigned to Got the it. SAD. Okay. Even better. Yeah, yeah, they, they were, oh yeah, these guys were not just like some kid that just graduated you know, Yale. <laughs> That's what Sean oh, Ryan yeah. was saying. No, dude. <laughs> that like, was always dis- like a fucking 23-year-old uh, and, who just and, graduated Yale. Oh. Yeah, but you understand <laughs> what I'm saying? These yes. are seasoned, very experienced case officers that understood the mission. They understood the, what was going on. Um, young guys, and again, I wasn't a case officer, but like those guys are assigned to different stations that were probably not quite as dicey mm. just to kind of, cut their teeth and then, okay, now you get to go over there. Now you get to go on this project. That's the way where I came from. But like, they didn't just throw you into these like super like, um, not complex, but like takes a lot of experience to pull that one Mm. off. So they would send you over here and just kind of grind your teeth a little bit over here. Like, okay, I got it. And then you would go to this project that was maybe a step up. Mm. Then you'd go to this project might be a little step up from there because they're they don't they can't expect you <laughs> to go and operate because you gotta again there was me that had no combat experience right. so you're gonna throw me right into the you know the the deep deep end of the pool that's not how they, they that's not how they operate um, they I don't want to say they spoon feed you but they slowly expose you to little more complex yes a little more complex okay a little this project that project um i rotated through one project more a couple times which was great because i got to know the afghans uh on a, on a much personal level and i rotated through this one project several times and which was great you know um but uh there are times that something pops up like a time sensitive target um, where you don't have time to really plan. It's like, you know, we know this guy's going to yes. be here for 12 hours and then he's gone. Yeah. You know what I mean? And so, that's where you're making some of those decisions. Like on the spot, about. dude. Yeah. yeah. You don't have time to be like, let's see. Now. Let's check that with Langley. Yeah, let's see. <laughs> no, you don't have time, dude. You need to come up with a good plan. And now and that, that old saying, I'd rather have a good plan now than a perfect plan later. Mm. Right. That was it. Like, make sure you're abiding by all the, you know, the tenants, you know, uh, you know, for, how are you going to protect your force if things are wrong? It goes on and on and on because, again, you don't have that support. Yeah. The, the, my, my my buddy Danny Jones from Concrete, that podcast yeah. I was telling you about down in Florida, yeah, yeah. he was just sitting with a guy recently, this guy Rick Prado. Mm-hmm. You, you probably at some point heard of him. I, I don't know if you'd recognize that just offhand, but he started off. He was with the CIA for, I want to say, like three, four decades, something like oh, that. Jesus. He started off. 10 years ground branch and his expertise was slitting your throat with a knife. I think I might have that wrong. Check that in the comments, but he, I don't know how it worked. I can't remember like if he was then like kind of dual, like he was both for a while before he went full over as like a case officer with the agency. But there was a story that he worked with this guy, Billy wall, very closely. He just passed away. Right. So, you know, Billy wall is like a legend. He was Annie Jacobson's like main source. I have an autographed picture from him on no shit. Dude. So I'll tell you about it since we're done talking. Okay. Probably the only one in existence of two guys that were on his halo team. I have a picture of him. It's a very famous picture of him and three dudes. 
I'll tell you the story after you're done. But, All but right, it's, yeah, it's yeah. Really I want, badass, dude. I want you to tell that. I just wanted to say this, just for like some context, I guess, of like these decision points you're talking right. about. But apparently, there was some story. I want to say Rick was working with him on this, but don't quote me on that. Where Billy Wall, as like he was old at this point, he was like 65 years sure. old or some shit, was posing as I don't remember if it was like some photographer or something on the ground in one of the east african countries in the 90s and he had a direct shot at bin laden and he couldn't take it yeah so it wasn't it because he i guess he wasn't ground branch at that point but he was still doing shit like billy wall was still doing shit like this but there's an example like he had a quick maybe it was two hours where he was gonna have a shot at bin laden he was gone could have taken him yep and he didn't whereas you guys like purely when you're doing this it sounds like you're like all right let's go yeah Time-sensitive targets are exactly what they are. We got intel that so-and-so is at this location, and um, he's going to be there for 12 hours. Yeah. You need to get there and, and get back um, <laughs> with him or his body. So how do you know, how'd you get the Billy Wall thing? So, dude, this is no bullshit. You, you can't even make this up. Like, I knew who that man was. He's like a legend in special. Yeah, literally. Mac V. Sog. Yeah. First combat halo jump into Vietnam or Laos, Cambodia, where the hell he jumped into. <laughs> I could have killed him with a pencil easily, but I, pencil's not going to do the fucking job. <laughs> if I had to kill Bin Laden with a pencil, I would have driven it right through his eyes. Anyway, um, I was in a hotel in Afghanistan. I can't say the name of it, but it was an agency hotel. So when you like come in country and come out of country, that's where you stay. Meaning like, they didn't own it. They no, just... no, no. They just rented it or they bought it, whatever. But it was just... Oh, it was just agency ju- people. Just, yeah, dude. Like, Doesn't yeah. that stand out like a sore thumb? No, you wouldn't have known if you saw it, dude. And it was all surrounded by Jersey walls and shit. Like, you couldn't have drove a tank in there. It was... It, yeah. It really? Was, uh, yeah, that's yeah. interesting. Yeah. Okay. So it's where you rotated through and in and out of when you came into the country and when you came out of country. So inside of this hotel, for lack of a better word, better word was a bar. Dude, it was the coolest freaking thing I've ever seen. Floor to ceiling, and on the ceiling, it was nothing but memorabilia. Quotes from people, shit hanging on the wall, pictures everywhere. It w- And the sad thing is you couldn't bring a camera in there. Like, obviously, you're not taking... <laughs> click, 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 right? Check that shit out. Click, click. So I don't even have a picture of the place. But anyway, what was crazy is I was sitting, I was sitting at the bar, and I looked over... And I went, holy shit, that's Billy Wah. And I looked again, and he was sitting there talking with this other gentleman. How old is he at this point? Um, 60s, I would say, probably. Okay. In, yeah, yeah. I'd say in this his 60s. This has got to be like late 90s at earliest, because you're already ground branch yeah. at this point. He he was, he, I mean, I think he passed when he was 90 or something. Yeah, like, he was like 90-something. But dude, yeah. this guy's a stud. Yeah. This guy was a stud. So I look over at him, and I'm like... And dude was, you know, I've never been starstruck by anybody, but it was this intimidating guy. Like, like yeah. he's a freaking legend. So anyway, I looked over at him and um, I said, I'm just going to say hi. So I walked over and said, hey, Mr. Wall, I just want to say hello. <laughs> Mr. Wall. You know, <laughs> you know, I don't know what. You're like oh, taking hey, the blood off a knife you used yeah. earlier. Mr. Wall, So <laughs> I said, hey, you know, pleasure to meet you, sir. And he's like, oh, he goes, when he pulled up a seat, I'm like, oh shit. So I'm sitting there and it was him and another guy. I didn't know who the guy was at the time. And so we're just chit chatting. 
asking me what I was doing there. And of course I could have an open conversation with him where we were and stuff. And, and, uh, I, across the bar on the wall was a photo of him. And it was, it was, it's a very, it's in all like books and shit. It's three dudes, black and white picture, them kitted up with all their halo equipment on getting ready to jump, do the night jump into, into Vietnam. Mm. Very, very famous picture, him and two other guys. And I said, man, I said, I love that picture right there. I said, that's just the coolest thing. I said, what were you thinking then? Right. And he's like, oh man, he goes, where should I start? And he started telling me about, you know, you know, we probably knew we weren't going to hit the drops, all this shit. And I'm like, God, the balls these guys had, cause they didn't have like nav packages. They had a freaking altimeter and a compass and they were jumping into a blacked out drop zone in Vietnam. Dude, that takes elephant balls. Oh right? yeah. I mean, beyond courage. And, <laughs> and so balls. he goes, Hey, grab that picture. He asked the bar, he goes, grab that picture for me. Oh no. So, dude, takes it off. He goes, give me, give me a, give me a pen. Dude, he takes the picture out of the back of the frame and signs it at the bottom and hands it to the guy next to him. The guy next to him was the guy to next to him in the picture. Oh Jesse Campbell. God. I bullshit you not. Tur- I think on the picture says Turkey Man was his call sign. His name is Jesse Campbell. Dude, they both signed it, and then the pen, like, ran out, and he's like, give me a marker. So, like, one signature's in pen, <laughs> one's in a marker, and at the top of the photo, it says, Joe, kill all the bad guys. Oh, my Bro, God. think about that. Where is this picture It's in right my, now? The original's in my safe in my house, literally in my safe, but I have a copy of it on my wall in my home. Oh, my yeah, God. Yeah, dude. It's just a testament to, like, how badass some dudes are you like, sure that wasn't a test that they're gonna see like oh is he gonna accept this and take this no, home off this fucking property this nah, cia dude, secret i was i was floored dude wow. absolutely floored i bet you that is the only picture in existence of two i think his uh i think his team was uh team florida recon team florida i may be wrong but oh, i think God. it was recon team florida two guys from that halo jump with their autograph. I bet it's the only one in existence. I, I would almost put money on it. Recon Team Florida? I think. Mac V. Sog, Recon Team Florida. And it was Billy, Jesse Campbell. I mean, a couple of guys, like one dude they never found, I think. or something. I mean, it's, dude, it's crazy, man. Wow. Yeah, but... um. But yeah, I think it was Recon Team Florida because I remember him saying that to me. I, I, I'm about 90% sure. Yeah, he's he is he is such an interesting Oh dude. Interesting man in addition to as you already properly laid out, like literally the most legendary yeah. mission guy ever for the CIA. I mean he lived a great life, died to ninety died oh, at ninety three. But I Good remember autumn. that author, I don't know if you ever read her books, Annie Jacobson. He in like his retirement he vanished was kill wait was a uh kill surprise, surprise vanished kill. kill. Yeah, yeah, yep. yeah. It's about Ground Branch. And like yeah. not just that, but then I think he was also a source in I haven't read her DARPA book, but I think he was in that. Like oh, yeah. he just in in his retirement, like he shared so many yeah. I guess like gems from over the years, but it's just wild. Like when you think about like the movies and stuff, which again, they're movies. There's right. a reason for that. <laughs> you don't think about like a guy still at like seventy, like doing Dude, some shit. Let me tell you, that's rock star shit. Yes. Like to be able to operate at that level, at that age, and how the guy even survived. I don't. That much nine shit lives, and man. not be dead. Yeah. I mean, I know he'd been wounded, 
But like, how is that guy not dead? It's yep. just a testament of how badass of an operator he was, dude. Like, seriously. Like, yeah, I'm a one. He's about a 10. <laughs> you know, like, I'm not even I'm not even close to that guy's level. Nothing wrong with that. I but, mean, that guy was yeah. on another level. And, you know, it, it, he just, um, very, mo- like, that picture's in my home. You know, yeah. it's it's on the wall. And I, I, lo- I see it every day. And it just reminds me of the sacrifices that, like, extraordinary Americans have made, like, for our country. It's it's unfathomable, some of the shit that people have done. Like, the stuff I've done is, I mean, I'm glad I was able to participate and, 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 and do my bit. But compared to other people, it's nothing. Like well, that's, some, that's that's a very humble way to look at it, but I mean, what obviously what you did was some of the highest level stuff. So it's it's I always say this, like when I meet guys like you who are extraordinary and also humble about it, but did so many years and stuff like this. Like I'm glad it was you doing it. I'm glad you were on our side, not someone else's. But you know, it's it's a very like. Do you ever think about that? Like how rarefied air you have occupied? Um. You know, some days it's weird when I, especially if I start talking about it with someone like yourself and I start reliving some of the events that I've, you know, experienced. Yeah. It's kind of like, you know, it kind of hits you. Like I've even gotten an adrenaline dump before thinking about a couple things, like a a little adrenaline dump, like thinking about it, like, oh man, like, whoa, like that was, you know, that close, you know, Um, but um, you know. It's everybody thinks that when guys join special operations or whatever unit, you know, they're they're doing it for the flag and patriotism and all that stuff. And and you know that's true to a point, but to be quite honest with you, it's about the guy next to you. You know what I mean? It's about these men that you serve with and you you don't want to let them down, you don't want to embarrass them, you want to perform at the highest level because they're trusting you with their lives and you're trusting them. So that's what it's really about. I mean, sure. It's the flag in the country, but when you boil it down to what's, you know, like prime components, it's about the guy that's standing right next to me. Yeah. I mean, it really is. And people go, huh, but that's what it really boils down to because it's the respect and the humility that you have for these guys. Like I still, to this day, you know, I look at pictures of when I was, you know, doing that work and I still can't wrap my head around it quite. Mm. You know what I mean? Like, yes, I still I can't quite go, what? Wow. Like, Cause you were wh- so present for it. You it, had to be. Yeah. And it was just, what a blessing. Like, like it was a blessing. Like you said, I went from eighth grade to the pros, right? you know, and, and that wasn't something that's normal. I mean, like I said, most of the guys were combat veterans from the tier one units. And so, um, yeah, I mean, it was very humbling. It was, it, but I was very lucky because, you know, a lot of the guys, um, were very forthright and like would take you under their wing and like mentor you. Yes. I'd be like, why do you carry it like that? Why don't you do this? Oh, because of this. Why don't you wear your sling like this? Oh, because of this. Oh shit. Never thought about that. Why do you have like little finite details? Like, That is where you get good. You just start picking these guys' brains who've been there, done that. And I did, man. I could probably fill up an encyclopedia with like just little techniques and tactics and just little 
things that you would never think of until you've actually done something and going, well, that didn't work. <laughs> you know, like that, that sole on your boot is too slippery, Yeah. you know, or that one's too hard, or you don't want soles that pick up rocks because if you walk through a, like gravel and then go into one of these buildings in Iraq, that's marble or tile and you have a rock on the bottom of your shoe, what happens? Zzz, your feet slide like, Duh. Like I would have never thought about that unless you've actually done it, you know. And it's just, dude, it's crazy. Like the details, just it'll blow your freaking mind. I would love to know. Like it, your answer there just makes me think about this. But when you were talking about those initial tests and those initial interviews and how they knew fucking everything about you, they're pulling up your eleventh grade suspension and all that. Like, doesn't surprise me. They found a way to find out everything, but. <laughs> right. I'm always interested in how they are able to determine exactly who someone is because the reason they took that jump of you in AAU in eighth grade to the NBA is because they knew you were LeBron James. So how did they know that if you had never seen combat experience and it's not like you were operating right in front of these people while you were coming up through the Marines and Army? I mean you operate in front of people who know them for sure. But like I would love to know what it was that they're that spot on and they get it as correct as they got it with you when it's like from the outside, you're like a guy like me hears that and they're like, what are they crazy? They're taking someone from basically the Marines and army straight up to that. Holy shit. Yeah. But they know. And then you go and guess what? You're sitting here 10 years after retiring in front yeah. of me alive and in one piece, no limbs off you. And yeah. God knows how many important things you had to do along the way. My only answer to that is I bet that's highly classified. Oh, fuck yeah. (laughs) I don't know the answer, dude, to be honest with you, but I'm sure it's, you know, it's like the standards to, you know, Delta selection, right? Yes. That shit is highly classified. They don't just tell every swinging guy out there, oh, by the way, this is a standard. Like, yes, a handful of people probably know what the standards for that selection process is. Probably the same thing there. I, I don't know the answer. Um, I know they deep dive here really hard. I know there's right and wrong answers. I know there are, um, like when they ask you situational questions, like what would you do in this situation? Uh, I would do this. Well, why would you do that? Why wouldn't you do this? Um, Okay, here, I got to share this. So (laughs) this is going to blow your mind, but so one one of the questions I was asked, and this was in front of, you know, a board of people. And they said, Joe, we're going to, we're going to send you on a mission by yourself and you're going to meet an asset. And this asset has information that's vital to national security. Okay. And you're going to meet him one-on-one. When you meet this guy, he says, he's not going to give you the information unless you perform a homosexual act. on him." <laughs> I knew where that was going. What would you do? All right. So. Swallow the nectar. So. (laughs) So, dude, I can tell you what the wrong answer is. So if you were, I can tell you what my answer was. I said, well, first off, um, if you briefed me like you are now and you said that you got the wrong guy, find somebody else. Um, And I said that. So the one dude looks at the other three like this. He goes, could you say that again? A gentleman, I, I want you to hear this right here. That you're, you're saying, Joe, for national security, you couldn't put aside your personal beliefs. Is that what you're saying? 
I can almost guarantee you if you said, well, if you put it that way, out, done. I said, nope, I'm not doing it. And you got the wrong fucking guy. That was exactly my answer. That's okay. And that's what they wanted to hear. Wow. You see what I mean? Yes. But if you, but he, he made a big deal out of it. Gentlemen, did you hear what he just said? I'm like, uh-oh, uh-oh. You're saying, to say it again, that for national security, you couldn't put aside your own personal feelings. Is that what you're saying? Did you say to him, did I stutter? I said, that's exactly <laughs> what the fuck I'm saying. You got the wrong guy. And they just moved to the next question. Wow. But do you see what I mean, dude? Yes. That's the chink in the armor they're looking for. Like, oh, this guy is swayable. See, and, yes. And that's, but here, see, these are the tests of it. But what I'm even getting at when I say, like, how do they know? It feel. I mean, sometimes I, I try to treat the world and everyone else in it like they know everything and I'm stupid. Right. Therefore, I always operate like just assume they already know, Julian, right. and that keeps you honest. I right. think that's, uh, sure, you know, sure. it can torture me sometimes, but it's a good way to live. But when I think about this stuff, I of course I think that way. And I kind of wonder if they, they already knew the fucking answers you were going to give. Like down to the word. Yeah. And this is just like well, a role play where they're like, see, we told you he was going to say and that. And they know the wrong answer. Yes. Yes. They know the disqualification answer. He swayed. He's, he doesn't stand next to his beliefs. That's what they're looking for. Now, yeah. I don't know what they would have said. It's like, oh, yeah, I'd do it. I'd give him a blowjob. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what they would have said, but... <laughs> You know, it's been Joe, like that's kind of gay, man. I'm like, hey, man, you know, I, I couldn't tell you that's not my answer, but but you know what I'm saying. They're looking <sighs> for steadfast beliefs. You're not swayable. Yeah. You're, you know, you believe in what you believe. Like I, that's all part of the process. And yeah, dude, I really don't know. I, I I think that's all highly classified stuff because I guess maybe you could game it. I don't know. You can't game a polygraph. I mean, maybe some people can. They say some people say, can. Yeah, some people can yeah. yeah, but you can't game a board. You can't game like a psychologist unless you know they're about to ask me this question. That's why I don't discuss the right, details right, right, right. of that because I don't want somebody watching this going, "Oh, I want to get in Ground Branch," and they ask this, and it, I'm not. Right. Hey, that's on you. If you're the right guy for the right job, and you meet the standards, then good on you you'll be operational. If not, you know, doesn't mean you're not a great operator or a good person. You're just not the right guy for the right job. Mm. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. And so, yeah, like for example, like another thing that they look at is they classified is your, your financial status, your credit score. Yeah. Duh. Duh. Exactly. Right. Something that can be held yeah, over. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so like, and I never, I mean, I don't know my credit score it wasn't bad, but obviously it was enough to, I think my credit score at the time was like 750 or 740 right. and it was decent it right. wasn't um but i guarantee you if you had like shit credit that is a reflection mm -hmm. on you like why aren't mm -hmm. you managing your money correctly and you know that can I mean? be turned so oh, easily oh bro in yeah. a heartbeat yes. exactly do you see what i mean so they're yeah. looking for every little chink every little thing john minnelli was telling me that 
and we were talking about it because like they talk about like these contractors who will flip and stuff these days yeah. when you hear that stuff happen i mean there's some like just interesting ones where they're trying to actually they're not flipping but they're leaking information to the right. public with their name behind it like snowden and stuff like that's right. different but i'm saying the guys who actually like flip and become an agent for someone else a lot of the times it leads back to not all the time but it leads back to something where they got in some sort of financial that's trouble right. or incentive Here's a million dollars yep. yeah so yeah, these are the things that they look at. Yeah, and uh, and rightly so, you know. Um, but um, what what do you? Th I'm curious on this. Just mm -hmm. while we're on like the broad CIA and, yeah. and how they're viewed and what they do, like when you hear people talk about the CIA today, mm -hmm. and I see this a lot because of some of the people we've had in here. I'm very familiar with the different sure. attitudes on the CIA. I I have a personally a very very nuanced view. I'm very appreciative that the CIA exists. Sure, they got to do shit that. Is unspeakable sometimes, but it is if sure. I I live in reality. It is a nasty world. There are things that occur that sometimes are speechless, and that's how it is. What I also will do though is like when they get shit wrong that we've seen over time. Mm -hmm. We talk about MK Ultra and shit right, like right. that. Fuck yeah, I'm gonna talk about that. Sure. Fuck yeah, there's corruption in there. Fuck yeah, there's been some bad guys to work in there. I'm not denying any of this, and I will call that out every time. But I find that. When you hear like the commenters in the world, it's either one one or the other. The CIA is all good and every single thing they do is important and shut the fuck up about it. Or the CIA needs to be abolished, debunked, right. gotten rid of and whatever. And they'll be like, it's a murder organization. It's run by the Illuminati. And I'm just like, ah, like, like, how do you, how do you approach that? Like, like, do people ever come up to you and, and say like, fuck the CIA and shit like that? Like, sure. what, what's your approach? Uh, I would say this. Where do you think our country would be without an intelligence agency? That's like what that? I say. Yeah. I'm just, I mean, I'm just, yeah. you answer that question. You know, if you say well, it doesn't matter, well, I beg to differ. Um, it would, <laughs> we, would, we wouldn't be, we wouldn't be living the life we yeah. are. Now, am I saying they've done everything right? Of course not. I mean, right. yeah, I mean, give me a break. You know, there have been some very, you know, Contra scandal and all that. There's been some very embarrassing moments. I get it. Um, but all in all, the organization is comprised of highly, highly skilled people, very patriotic. They love their country. Um, they're doing a very tough job. Um, very dedicated. Like, look, look at the woman hunted down Bin Laden. Yes. Right. I mean, she was on that dude for years, like a pit bull. Yes. Right. Um, and you know, that's the kind of tenacity and professional excellence that that organization has. Like, it's pretty humbling, dude. You got people that, like, they dedicate, that woman dedicated her life, lost friends, you know, um, to hunt on one guy. Yes. One guy. And, you know, who does that? Like, they do. They, that's what they do. Um, and, yeah, I, it's easy to slam dunk the agency. TV, movies, doesn't yeah, always doesn't portray help. people from that organization in a very good light. I'm just telling you again, from my own, from my little peeking through the veil and looking on the inside, everyone that I met, highly professional, highly competent. Everybody was on the same sheet of music. Um, you know, the glass is always half full. You mm. know what I mean? They always had the right mindset. I don't think that's a place that allows for, you know, mediocrity. Right. You know what I mean? Like yeah. if you're matter of fact, 
when I was interviewed by Ron, the first interview, one of the things he said to me is like, he says, um, do you think you're a good operator? I'm like, I think I'm, I think I'm pretty good. He's like, we don't need good. <laughs> we, we need great. So he said, he goes, we don't need good. And I was like, oh shit. Okay. But also like, that's such a stupid, because what are you supposed well, yeah, to say? I'm, I'm fucking great, amazing. Yeah, yeah. But, but see, dude, that's just it. What do you think would have happened if I would have said that? You're a narcissist. You're done. Do you see what I mean? Like every little thing, they set you up to either answer it the right way or they set you up to answer it the wrong way. God damn. If I would have said, dude, I'm the man. Right. I'm, I'm Superman. I'm right. seven foot tall and bulletproof. Right. That's Problem. not the guy they're looking for. Problem. I just said, I think I'm a pretty good operator. That's what I said. I think I'm a pretty good operator. And then he said, think about we don't need good. Oh, well, dude, you know, I'm I'm better than good. And, you see what I mean? Yeah. And and with the whole broad argument of like the organization, how they operate though, you know, it seems to me the more I think at like the macro level in society of anything and it, and things get to bigger populations and bigger groups, there's kind of no right answer. Like the buck sure. is going to stop somewhere. Right. How hard do you want it to stop? Right. And which is the is the least worst? Right. So at, let me give a parallel example, like for people that might complain about everything the CIA does. A parallel example could be, okay, let's look at socialists and libertarians. Mm -hmm. Socialists want everything, I guess, to stop with the government. Mm -hmm. Libertarians want everything to stop with the private right. individual. Right. If you go extreme on both of those, we've seen that problem problem because you know what those two things have in common bad people infect powerful places and all it takes is a few that's right that's all it takes so with the cia you know i think it's more like just like any government agency on the things that we do find out and some things you don't in public and that's i think that's the scary thing for people the unknown but like you hold them honest to the things that are like fucked up and right. you know regular heads will roll if shit goes down fine and then you also recognize that there's a lot of things you don't know about. Like you don't hear about the times they do shit that thwarts stuff, which is all the time. You don't – I didn't yeah. see on the news like when you murked people that no one ever found out about that you know were killing tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of people. You know what I mean? Right. Like you don't – that's not newsworthy. Right. You know? And that's why one of the things I really admired um, about the agency and something I kind of have a bad taste in my mouth about recent doings in special operations who killed who who mm. killed bin laden who killed our look that those types of missions should not be assigned publicly to mm. any unit whether it's delta or dev group whoever it should just say u.s special operations forces period period but that's also what happened now if as you know this this saying the unit the squad it was red squadron that killed bin laden like i mean you know, like, I personally don't think you need to push it out there like that. And where that comes from, I don't know. It's Can I give you a theory on that? Sure. I have no idea. It's just me guessing. Sure. I think it is a part of the government media relationship. I think the government feels like if we are going to control some of the narratives when we don't want, say, national security relevant information getting out – we need to be able to give sexy stories when we can mm. to those same people who we're going to call right. upon in those. Right. If I were – and I'm just guessing. Sure. 
I don't know what you think about that, but that would be my guess. Yeah, I mean, that's certainly a, a course of action for sure. Um, I just find it a little distasteful. Sure. You know, I can just tell you this, you know, you're not going to see somebody on the news saying, oh, and today such and such person was dunced or captured by where I kick. Dude, ain't going to see it. You're not going to see it. Well, this is, this is, I, I can say this already. This has been like obviously a riveting conversation we're in the middle of having right now. And yet, not that I didn't already say this at the outset and know this coming in, you haven't had to get specific on much at all. You also can't. Mm-hmm. And so you're not, you're not sitting here discussing missions on an individual basis. Like I've gotten details of like a country on a couple things and like right. a rooftop here and there, but like, that's all right. I'm getting. You're not out here like, so it was, th- it was this exact guy, this dude in this place, this time with this guy, we whacked him here. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like there's a clear line you have there. I have uh look, dude, you know, my contributions and what I've done is extremely small in comparison to a lot of people. But one thing I don't, uh, that I find distasteful is talking about war and missions and in a, in a, in a detailed way where like, Oh, you know, I killed 55 guys. Like we were keeping score. Like how the mm. fuck, like really, you know, um, I, I, I have a problem with that. You know, I just, I don't like glam, uh, glorifying war. War's barbaric, dude. Yeah. It's barbaric period. Good men, good men die for scum. Um, how do you glorify that? You can't, you know? Um, and one of the things that, again, I, I have a problem with is some of these dudes out there that are talking, and I'm not going to mention names. That's unprofessional, but you know, some things are best left, not talked about. Mm-hmm. And when you talk about war and special operations and stuff, and it, you make it sound like a game, ain't a game. It's life and death. You yes. know, there's no reset button. Yes. Okay. There's no, oh man, just because things aren't working out well, I want to call a timeout. There ain't no timeout. Um, I won't do it. I've never done it. Um, I'm not going to do it. You know, my meager contributions, I know what I've done. I'm comfortable in my own skin. Um, I'm certainly not the most experienced guy out there. I'm not the least experienced guy. But I think some people just take it a little bit too far for their own Sure. Glory and edification um, to the point where it's like, you know what? You, you shouldn't be talking about this. It's not just like the mass media and social sharing culture, though. It's also like I think about this sometimes. It's like the Call of Duty era and stuff. People get you. That's what I'm saying. Like, it sounds very stupid. And it is. No. But like people get used to like, oh, you get to reload. You die. And re-. and I look, I, I'm not saying that's how people look at war. But I right. think it's just enough desensitization sure. for people to be like, oh, let me settle in for like a four hour podcast talking about, you know what I mean? 100%. Like, I, I always want and I this is very important to me. And I hope I get it right when I have guys like you who are nice enough to come in and talk about this. I want that reverence for it. Yeah. You know, my friend Sean Ryan does a great job with that sure. on his show because yeah. he lived it, right? Yeah. But, like, I'm not a guy that lived it, and I don't want people being like, ooh, let's talk about Iraq war today. Yay. Right. You know, it needs to it needs to still have, like, yeah, we can have fun doing this, but it needs to have, like, hey, guys like you reminding people, yo, war is fucking hell. And it's not just some fucking idiot podcaster saying it. Like, right. I did it. Yeah. I've watched um, numerous um podcast from Sean. He does a really good job and I do like his attitude. He's he's a humble guy and that's yes. you know from the SEAL community. Um <clears throat> he does the the community good. 
He, he does it. There's other guys, not going to mention their names, that they're the exact opposite. Yes. That, that, um, too much flag waving, I say, you know, um, too much flag waving. I, Wait, what do you mean flag waving? Just like, hey, we did it. Oh, right, we right. want the, you know, and, and I get it. Like the whole thing with Ben Laden, you know, not that, you know, look, great mission, dev group. I mean, look, dude, crashed the helicopter. That would have been mission abort for 99% of the people. Yeah. The guy that saved the day on that mission was a pilot. Because yeah. if he would have crashed that bird and hurt the guys, and that that was it. Their assault force was cut in half. Yeah. That's mission abort, dude. Done. Yeah. Ain't no fucking way they were going to take that compound down with half a guy. No way. That pilot saved the day. How many guys were on that again? I, I'll look it up. You yeah, dude. Talking. I'm not sure. For some reason, 20... I heard Rob O'Neill talk about it one time, and I, man, don't quote me. I think he said 24. I, I may like be wrong. Right. I, I may be like wrong. That's right. But if you just lost 10 or 12 guys, yeah. and that's mission abort criteria, at least where I came from. Like, you yeah. just lost half your assaulters, and, you know, reset, get out of there, like, right now. Um, but um, I think, I tell you where I think this all started was, so Delta got Hussein. I was actually in country when that happened. Um, Iraq. Yeah, excuse me, in Iraq. Yeah, they caught Hussein in Iraq in Tikrit. Um, I've never heard someone call him Hussein. That's funny. Yeah. I've that's a first. I, it's always Saddam. Yeah. It's, yeah. yeah. Great job. You know, let me tell you, Delta, dude, they were out every freaking night, night after night after night. We were in the same compound with them. It was like these 10 houses that were like cookie cutter houses that, uh, Saddam Hussein for his fam had for his family had pools in the backyard and everything. But anyway, those guys were getting run into the ground, man. They were they would hit a target, dry hole, or like oop, he ain't here. Get intel, boop, go to another target, bro. That's grueling. Like yeah. you're just getting, you know, you're just getting beat into the ground like a tent peg. But I think what happened was, you know, Delta got Hussein, and everybody knew it. So then now Devgrew had to do something. So. They were in Afghanistan, um, so they split the two countries at one point where they were operating in both, but then they said, okay, Delta's going to take Iraq, mm. Dev Group's going to take Afghanistan, right? You had, you know, Task Force Green, Task Force Blue. And so, I don't know if it was an ego thing or what, I, I, you don't know, but it had to be somebody way, way up the food chain to release that kind of information. Like, yes, it was Dev Group, yes, it was Red Squadron, you know what I mean? Like... You don't, that just doesn't come from an operator level. Do you know what I mean? Yes. That's not some assault we're going, oh, we did it. It's somebody way, way up the food chain saying, yeah, we did it. So I kind of think it was a tit for tat thing, you know, and dude, you got to understand there's a lot of egos involved in this kind of stuff, bro. <laughs> it's still human beings, you man. You know, yep. and the farther up the food chain you go, the egos kind of get, you know, get little, and that's something I, I'll be honest with you, man, I, I, and the knock on wood for me. I didn't bring an ego because I was super intimidated. Yeah. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I was like, okay, you know, I'm picking everybody's brain here and I'm going to suck in as much information I can out of these guys because I was always thinking I was at a deficit and I had to inch my way up, you know? Um, you know what? From This is just me from the outside. I don't know how much I, – I assume you could speak on this a lot, but not just from yourself but for other people. I mean, I, I could do a lot less of that, but – I feel like sometimes, especially the higher up you go in military, the military in general, but the higher up you go, the more specialized, you're talking about, I mean, what did you say? What percentage of people makes what you do? Like 1% of 1% of 1%? It, it was like one-tenth of one-tenth of 1%. Right. So point being, 
when you get into these teams that Navy SEALs, sure. uh, Army Rangers, you are so talented and the best of the best, a total badass, strong. You're like what would be on the front of a fucking magazine. You're like this hero and you do all this shit. And yet, unfortunately, we do live in a country where, A, those guys still don't get paid a ton of money because they're right. government employees. Sure. B, they come home with all the fucking everything they just did, yeah. all the trauma and everything, and all these places forget about them. Veteran suicides are an all-time it's high, terrible. I believe, right now. Either way, it's it's high, and it's yes. ridiculous. And I think, guys, I don't want to say they get envious, but I would understand. I wouldn't use that word negatively here. I think guys look at, like, you know, the NBA and NFL players and say, why the fuck are they always – why do people forget about us? And, like, fine, like, they're great players and stuff, but they're, like, stars. Why don't people talk about us? And I think there's a piece of it where it's, like, especially when they see people fighting over dumb shit here. Right. Like, look what we did. This is real life. This is right. what we did. Right. You know, and, and as a human being who didn't do that, I have I have a lot of room of empathy for that. So sometimes, sure. like, when I'll watch one, and I know what you're talking about with certain people, mm-hmm. where it's, like – maybe he shouldn't be talking about that one i have a huge amount of empathy where i'm like yo this guy did 20 years in that i get it yeah you know what i mean sure like and i understand why you're strict about it and and i fully i get it but like as a civilian i at least understand where some of it's coming from there's sometimes where it's obviously like all right dude shut the fuck up like we've heard it you know what i mean but there's other times where i'm like okay you know maybe i'll let them handle that Right. Let the let the military community handle that. You know, and it's tough too because you know guys that have served in special operations. You know, you know, everybody's talking about a code like you don't seek admiration or right. like the SEAL code. It's right, right in their it's right in their code, right? right? Um, which is one of the it's the best code I've ever. It's badass. The SEAL code is really cool. Um, but it says it right in there. Yeah, I don't seek admiration or. And, and I don't want to botch this up for the SEAL team guys that might be listening. I apologize, <laughs> but I, I I've read it and it's very good. But what do you do when you're a SEAL or an SF guy or a Delta guy and you have done this stuff? Um, you, you can't just erase it from your past, and it is noteworthy some of the stuff you've done. So I, it's a very fine line. Dude. Yes, it man, and you can fall off that. It's like a snail crawling across a razor blade. You know what I mean? Yeah, like it, it can get ugly snail crawling across a, a razor, razor blade. blade. Yeah. You got to be very, very careful what you say, when you say it, how you say it, who you say it to, or you're going to come off either as a bragger or like, dude, shut your mouth. Like you just say, like you're talking too much. The American American public don't care who did it. We just want to know you did it. Yes. Right. There's people out there doing stuff on the behalf of our people um, every day, like I told you, the agencies at war 365 days a year, 24 seven ground branches. That's why I said, Hey, you know, you're going to be at war 365 days a year. I'm like, Hmm, I like to stay busy. Like that was my response. <laughs> I didn't know what to say, but like, yeah, cool. But like, but there, there's, it's a, it's, it's hard. Even for me, like, it's like, yeah, man, I'd love to tell the world, you know, like, Hey man, do you know that there were guys that did this for you? For yes. your kids, for your kids, so your kids don't have to go do this shit. I can't, but I would love to, and I know a lot of people would be like, "Wow, you know, like that makes me proud to be an American." Yeah, you know what I mean. But, but that's the whole quiet professional thing, and it sucks. But that's you know that's the game. That's you the know game. that's those are the rules that's of the what game. You sign up for. 
yeah, you don't seek admiration. You don't, you know, if we would ever did something, somebody else got to be like, oh, it was the Afghan commandos that did that. Woohoo. It was this unit. It was, mm-hmm. a, I mean, you would never, never, never take credit for stuff like that. And that's the way it should be. At least, at least where I came from, it had to be that way. Um, but, you know, I think we've got a little, I don't know, just a little out of whack. Sure. You know what I mean? With uh, social media doesn't help. Yeah, dude. Oh, uh, Lord. Yeah. That's a four letter word, social media. <laughs> you know, but, you know, um, but I've, I've tried, I've tried to maintain the best I can um, a quite professional demeanor about all this stuff. I mean, look, it was a job. At the end of the day, that was my job. I volunteered for it. No one stuck a gun to my head. Um, How many years were you in Ground Branch again? Nine. That's, was long, nine. Yeah. that's a long time. Yeah. And and like how often were – you said you'd get dropped on these projects and stuff, and then I guess they'd send you home for time and sure. you'd chill at home. So like what – was there an average? Like you'd be like 45 uh, days yeah. on, mm-hmm. 20 days off or – Normal deployment was 90 days. Okay. You could extend for one month. That's it. Like once you hit that 120-day mark, you're going Out. home. Yeah, just the op-tempo was – Pretty high. And how long would they send you home for? A few months? Um, month? No. Um, and this is this was kind of like the crappy part. I would get home and be like, oh, there's a free fall train up you want to go to. Oh, there's a school. There's this. So mm-hmm. like. Always on. Yeah. Because I wanted to hit all. I wanted to get as much training as I could. It cost me my marriage. I mean, I had I had an, a, a, a wonderful wife. Uh, we lived a very good life. Had a beautiful home. Lived on the water, but I was never home. I was gone. Do you have kids? No. I was gone 10 months out of the year. Um, and um, it just, yeah, it just, you know, for anybody listening right now, let me, here's the best best advice I could give someone for that wants to get in special operations. Do it while you're young and do it while you're single. Yeah. I mean, huge divorce rate. I mean, huge, 80%-ish more. Can you blame either person? No, you can't. You can't. No, I mean, I remember coming home and just, you know, um, I remember one time I came home specifically, I had a uniform, had a bunch of blood on it, and it wasn't my blood. I had carried a guy, bad guy, and threw him on the back of an ATV, and I got <laughs> blood on me. And my wife saw it, and she just started crying. Mm. And I'm like, honey, it's not my blood. But it, you know what? Like, it's just not normal. Like, it's normal for that culture. Normal for you? Yeah. It's work. normal for her. No. And it's just, it, and she was a strong woman, um, but it was just too much, you know? And while you're gone, you're not calling people. You're not email, at least there, you ain't contacting nobody, nobody while you're gone. They don't want any contact with anyone while you're gone. They don't want to be able to trace emails or nothing. Oh, so you're totally mm-hmm. dark. Nada. For 120 days in it, yeah, yeah, it's it's, not... it's tough, dude. It's, and and then you've got your spouse at home. Is he alive? Is he dead? What's he doing? But that you start mind screwing. You're like, how long can you do that? Yeah, how, I mean, think about it. That's really hard on a marriage, man. It's really hard. Did we, you make? And this might be too invasive of a no. question, so stop it if if it is. But like, is that was that part of a calculation and why you didn't have kids? You're like, I'm gonna be the dad that's not home, or um, no, we we tried to have kids. Mm. It's just never never got pregnant got it but um but that did cross my mind um several times 
So, I mean, obviously I had a will made out, obviously. Um, but, you know, the reality of that work is someday your luck might run out, yes. you know? And I had a few close, everybody has close calls, but like my first trip to Iraq, first week, had a round hit my peltors. Like, this is after the one, after the rooftop thing? Yeah, this is what I, my first rotation. Yeah, this is that. I Same got, rotation, yep, but after that. Yep. That was the first of, time you saw gunfire, yep, the first one. Now we're on yep, a new one. I was in a cab with three other dudes, and there was a kind of a traffic jam going on, but something kind of looked like it was shady going on. So I got out of the cab, and I was standing in between the door. And boom, one shot. And it hit my peltors and freaking spun them all the way around. Dude, like, if I would have stepped over that much more, like, I would have taken them around right between the eyes. You know what I mean? Who like, shot it? Do you have any nope, idea? Nope. 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 Shit like that. You know, and, and you know, you, you, at the moment, it's, you're like, oof. But then later on, you think about it, like, man, if I would have just stepped over one foot farther, if the car would have been over one foot far, I would have been dead. That's the kind of stuff that starts wearing on you. You know what I mean? You start thinking about, oh man, oh man, that was close. Oh man, that was close. Ooh, ooh. Um, I was on, there's like a really interesting um, happenstance. I don't even know what you would call this, but like we were hitting a compound one time and I uh, I was hiding behind like about a three foot high wall that um, surrounded a well, right? So I was behind it shooting and I hear this, on the other side of the wall, I hear this, like a thud, like a boom. And at the time, I didn't know what it was. So after everything was done, compound was cleared, we were doing the SSE, I walked over there, and some asshole shot a fucking RPG at me, and it mm. didn't detonate. It hit the wall, and just, but it didn't detonate. If it would have detonated, I'd been dead for sure. Do you ever feel like, like, that's just too close calls you're telling me about oh, yeah. for the first time now, but do you ever feel yeah. look back and feel like, there was something else going on that kept you here. Sure. How could you not? Yeah. How could you not? Um, but yeah, and, and dude, again, you can sit here and tell stories all day long. That's This is shit that happens. Like, there's plenty of guys that, like my one buddy, um, a fucking bad guy threw a grenade at him, didn't even know it, and after it was all said and done, he looked down and it was sitting right next to him and didn't mm -hmm. detonate. You know who else had a story like that? Bin Laden. You ever hear that one? No. That just I don't know why. Oh, but wow. that was like the same. There's a story that Bin Laden, when he was fighting with the Mujahideen, thinking, oh, this could have fucking changed history. This is a long way for it to go. Yeah, I wish yeah, the fucking right? thing blew up. But some rocket, or maybe it was a grenade, I forget. People can look this up. I don't know if it's urban myth or if it really happened, but we'll put it out there because I, I remember reading this. It fell next to him and it didn't explode. And he told himself right there he was the chosen one. And that flipped his – that's no what, like this thing, like wow. no matter who it is or like what – the universe can cause a weird turn in the right or wrong direction with this life or death shit. You yeah. know what I mean? And like, it have effects for years and years and yes. years. Yes. Yeah. Butterfly sure. effect to the oh, fucking yeah, 100%. Crazy. But yeah, man, those, those are the things that um, like now um, – you know, I don't do that stuff anymore, but I think about it. I think about if I would have just, I wouldn't be here. If I would have stepped, I wouldn't be here. If that thing would have detonated, I wouldn't have been here. Like, and again, my experience compared to other guys is nothing. Like there's dudes of way more experience. Like how, like Billy Wall, like how does that guy survive mm -hmm. all of that shit? You know, divine intervention, good operator, probably a combination of both. Right. 
Um, but yeah, man, that's the kind of stuff that kind of haunts you. And then of course, you know, you, I don't want to say everybody. I mean, I, I don't have PTSD. Thank God. I, I mm, don't. Good for you. But what I, what I, what I do have is I do have some survivor's guilt. Um, you know, I think about guys that had lost their lives and, you know, um, I don't know how you couldn't You're like, man, that guy was, you know, better than me, more experienced than me, that, 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 and you know, he, he, um, he didn't make it. That'll wear on you, you know, that'll wear on you for sure. Um, but that's not a, so if you have that, I mean, forgive me if I'm way off here, but I've just, I've heard a lot of different people from different backgrounds talk about PTSD from things. And when I've heard the survivor's guilt one, they describe that as part of the PTSD. You don't, you don't view that as, um, well, I look, I'm no expert on, you know, post-traumatic stress disorder. I know about it. I know, like, I don't, I don't have bad dreams. Mm. I don't, you know what I mean? Like, I don't, I don't suffer from anger management issues. I don't suffer from being, you know, um, taking prescribed medicines to, for pain. Mm. Like, I don't have any of that stuff. What I do think about, not every day, but, you know, if I watch a movie or something or I see something, it triggers it. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Like, I was... Like, when you say triggers it, like, it what It makes happens? me think about it. Mm. Like, oh, yeah, man, that, that reminds me of my buddy Mike. Or that do you drift off or do you uh, still stay present and you're just yeah, thinking I stay about present. it? Yeah, I stay present. It's just I momentarily go, hmm. And it makes me sad. I ain't gonna lie to you. You know, how could you not, you know, go to a funeral and see somebody's wife crying over a freaking casket? How could that not affect you? It has to. How could you not be affected by some 10 year old kid coming up to me and saying, you know, how did my daddy die? Like, what do you say to a 10 year old? Like, you know what I mean? Like, that's the kind of stuff that haunts me for lack. You, yes. know, you know what I mean? Like, look, dude, every, I think anyone. Everyone and anyone that has been to combat, I don't give a damn what unit you're in. If you saw combat, you're broken in some way. Yes. Some way. It may be a little bit or a lot of bit, but you're broken some way. You, you may not see it and it may not manifest itself in a way that you're actually going to see it during the course of your life. But how could you not? I mean, we're human beings, dude. We're not freaking robots. You know, we have feelings. We have a soul. We, you know, how could you not... Um taking life, whether it's a terrorist, you're still a human being. You're still going to, well, at least I did, like, you know, like that's still somebody's dad, yes. brother, whatever, you know, you're still going to, at least I did. Some guys, look, I, I don't want to speak for everyone. I'm sure there's dudes out there like, ah, scum, terrorist. I mean, okay, great. If you can compartmentalize it like that, that's great. Mm. I think that's kind of dangerous too. I, I mean, it's all right to be a human and still that's be- That's that sociopathy thing. Yeah. Right? There's a fine line, you know, yeah, I could do the job, but I still understood. Yeah. These are terrorists. Yeah. They're the scum of the freaking earth. You know, they deserve a bullet, but at the end of the day, interesting. you know what I mean? At the end of the day, you're still like, hmm. at least I was maybe, I don't know. Call me too soft. I don't know. Some guys may, some dudes listen to this might go, dude, you're too freaking soft. You shouldn't have been doing that work. Well, maybe you're right. Maybe you're well, wrong. There, but you also are well-equipped 
if all of what you're saying is true here, you you were built well equipped to deal with it compared to the average person. And I'll bet that's a part of their calculation for a group like this. Is this someone who is on a percentage basis likely to suffer from severe PTSD from what they do? And they want to pick guys who for the right reasons, the answer is no. And like I was drifting for a second listening to how you were describing that. And my mind was thinking about all the people that – all your brothers who who died in front of you and stuff – and then as you were getting through that point, you started to make it clear you're talking about all of it. You're talking about including the bad guys you're killing, sure. which is a very – it's a very human thing that it's, – it's kind of amazing to me that you're able to at the same time as empathizing with that very clearly, sure. compartmentalize it to the point to understand what that was and not, not be tortured by it. I think that's great. You know, um, one of the things that I learned um, – going through the process to get there is everybody has what are called coping mechanisms. Mm. And so, you know, they, they know all about your past, you know, they knew I came from a, you know, a family that was suffering. They knew my parents divorced. They knew that my mom, you know, passed when I was in high school, et cetera. So I had a lot of coping mechanisms and I don't want to say trauma. I don't want to say trauma. But whatever, at a very young age, right? you know, so does that help you do that kind of work? Maybe from a psychological standpoint, maybe. I'm sure. not a psychologist and no one said, hey, by the way, if you have all this trauma in your young life, you're going to be able to, no one ever said that. I'm just looking at it from a purely. Makes sense. You know, like, does this, yeah, does that make sense? Yeah, it makes sense to me. And so, um, and it's funny because when you talk to other guys, you start seeing this parallel, like, oh, yeah, you had some trauma growing up. You had some trauma growing up. You know what I mean? It was like mm. none of these dudes grew up with a silver spoon in their mouth in this bubble, and, you know, their lives were perfect. None of them. Yeah. Not one. There was always a little something-something there. You know what I mean? And, yeah, is that part of the equation? You know, I think you said equation, or is that a part of the secret sauce? No one's ever told me it was. But it makes sense. It sure. makes sense to me from a psychological standpoint. Like, can you imagine just having somebody who, like me, never saw combat? I grew up in a rich family. I was catered to. My mom and dad are still alive. That like, and then you get thrown into the mix like that. Good luck. Oh, ouch. Good luck. That's gonna sting like hell. Not that it didn't sting anyway, but you know, it didn't sting from a one to a ten, a fifty. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? So. These are all the little nuances, I think. Again, we talked about this. They're, they're, again, I didn't write the book on what they're looking for. I'm just telling you from my experience, what I saw, heard, and talking to other guys, I'm sure this all plays into the equation. Sure. sure. Somehow, somewhere, it all plays into it. Um, and uh, and I've talked to friends of mine um, about this, and, um, and they all agree. Yeah. You know the guys I were like, like yeah, a hundred grand, hundred percent, because it's it's a tra- it's like a it's not just onesies and twosies. It's every freaking guy yeah. has like, how could that be a coincidence? When you when you're talking about losing brothers on the battlefield, so to speak, though, are you? I assume you're talking about the projects that involved you actually being in a war zone. You're not talking about like when you did some sort of undercover work in Europe where some guy had to go. 
Am no, I yeah, correct? I'm talking. Yeah, I'm, I'm talking about like Afghanistan. Right. Yeah. So that. Like, so because my question was going to be like, what even happens when when the unthinkable happens and one of your guys dies and you're diplomatically no immunity, like you're not even supposed to exist. Like, do you even get their body off? So you know that I mean? is classified, and they have processes in place okay. for that. All right. Well, we'll, we'll leave. Yeah, that yeah, there. The, yeah, yeah. They're they're going to get you home, but the way that's all done is. It's done so that it maintains your covert nature. You know what I mean? So it's, yeah, they have, they, they have processes in place to take care of that. And sadly they've had to use it, but, um, you know, and understand, dude, you know, a lot of times guys that got killed or hurt really bad. I wasn't even there. Like I heard, Oh, you know, so-and-so got killed. Oh, Jesus. You know what I mean? Like I wasn't even there. I just heard about it. Um, yeah, I've been on, 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 on a couple of missions where guys got hurt really bad, uh, killed. Yeah. Um, and, and even dude, this is going to sound really weird, but like when you start working with like, you know, foreign nationals and, you know, Afghan assets, even when one of those guys get killed, it's heartbreaking. Of course. Like we, we found a guy, we had a compound and we found one of our Afghan guys. He was dead. He got shot in the ass, but the round came out. And clipped his femoral artery. Oh. And we found him with trying to put his tourniquet on. Oh. And he couldn't quite get it on. Dude, it's heartbreaking. Because if he could have got if he could have got his tourniquet on. He's alive. Yeah, we could have got him out of there, you know? Um oh my but God. yeah, like shit like that. Like I remember that. Like I could close my eyes right now and see that dude. Like I could see him laying there. Um you know, uh You always take it with you. Fuck yeah, no man. What. It's just um you know, it's just like you, people talk about, you know, how many, you know, how many people have you shot? And I said, dude, the, you know, in my, I don't know, not a lot. I'm not like, I didn't keep score, like putting notches on my carbine, you know, but that's what the job was. You know, you're going to, you're going to end up engaging people sooner or later, sooner or later, you're going to end up pulling the trigger on someone. Um, well, on, on that note, I mean, this is really the first time where this feels appropriate to go there today, but when I talk with guys like you, my focus, and I kind of said this earlier in another context, but my focus is on the respect for the job and not just asking the, oh, what's it like to such and such? You know what right. I mean? Yeah. Like guys just want to know, like, oh, I was like I fanboy with shit like that. <laughs> but one of the things you did say to me right before we went on camera and you gave no details is you said you you do not mind being asked about your first time killing. And I'm not sure that I've ever asked that on camera to someone, but you're talking about it right now when you yeah. talk about pulling the trigger and stuff. And again, as we've laid out today, you're a guy that before you went into ground branch, you didn't, you weren't in combat. Zero. You, you were doing nothing. Mm -hmm. And so now you're right there licensed to kill. Mm hmm without going into the classified details of obviously what it was, take me there and, and what that was like and, and yeah. what happened. And you know, one of the reasons Julian, I said that to you is, and it's not a disrespect thing. A lot of people are just curious, you know, like yeah. what, what was it like? You know, what were you feeling? What, you know? And so it, it's, I think it's just a curiosity. It's a question I would sure. ask someone if, if I felt comfortable asking somebody um, that was in my situation, I'd ask them because it's, it's something that, it's a curiosity to people because it's not a normal thing to do. It's just not. Um, but yeah, um, we, uh, it was, I was in Afghanistan and we were hitting this compound. And so early on, you know, we were explosive breaching everything. 
it, that kind of went away to doing very surreptitious stuff, putting ladders on the walls, padded ladders, going over the walls, getting up security. And so I was always on the assault force and I just wanted to be on the ladder team one time. Why? Cause I wanted to do it. Cause I'd never done it. And so I'm going to do it. Right. So, um, we're, we had two ladders up and I got up on the wall and the assault team was going to be coming behind me and they were going to be breaching, I don't know, maybe 60 feet down on this wall. They were going to go through the door. It was a steel door. And I got up on the wall and I was looking in the compound just for any kind of movement. And I just happened to look down and there was a dude sleeping on a cot, like right there. Asleep. Asleep. Dead asleep. And I, it, it kind of took me off. I was like, what the fuck? And I looked and right next to him was an AK. On the ground, he was on a cot. The AK was on the ground next to him. This is stuff you don't read. And, okay, this is what you're going to do when somebody's sleeping. Like, are you fucking kidding me? Like, no one ever talked to me about this. So this is where you need to make a decision very quickly. I, out of my periphery, I see the assault team coming behind me. I knew they were getting ready to breach. Here's a dude right here, perfect line of sight down the wall. No-brainer shot. Even if he skipped rounds off the wall, he's going to hit somebody. What do you do? What do you do? Take him out. Do you, do you fucking wake him up? Excuse me. <laughs> you know, um, Sorry, no, work. seriously. Like, you know, like, what do you do? And so um, very quickly I came to the conclusion that the minute these guys breach and they get in, this guy's going to wake up, he's going to grab his gun, and he's going to start throwing rounds down the wall. Yeah. He's going to hit somebody. It's a It's a foregone conclusion. <laughs> What am I going to do? Wake him up? Hey, buddy, wake up so I can shoot you. (laughs) So I shot him in his sleep. Um, And I remember what was really crazy is that I remember seeing the rounds impact underneath his cot. Like, so I could see the dirt go. Like, I know it sounds really odd, but like, that's what I vividly remember seeing is the rounds kicking up dirt underneath his cot. And uh what did that feel like? The first thing I thought was I just saved somebody's life. Mm. I know it sounds really weird, but I thought if if I don't do this, the risk to my team, to my guys is unmanageable. Like, I can't let this guy wake up and he's going to freaking wake up. It's a no-brainer. He's got a gun. If I wouldn't have seen the gun, I don't know what I would have done, to be quite honest with you. Um, But I can tell you this, my focus would have been on him for sure. And if he would have gone for a gun, I would have shot him. But, you know, that's one of those moments where you're like, should I stay? Should I go? Like, what? Right. you know yeah. what I mean? There's no book answer for that, but there was a weapon. It was with an arm's reach. Um, he was in, a, in my, um, in my view, he was a, an immediate threat to our assault force. All he had to do is wake up, even like closing his eyes and just full auto. He's going to hit somebody. So I, 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 I neutralized the threat and, and that was it. 
Do you oh. know how long it took to make that calculation from first sight to doing it? Um, I would say five seconds. Quick. Seven seconds, something like that. Yeah, I looked down and went, oh, shit. Like, it was like one of those, oh, shit moments, right? I saw him, saw the gun, heard the team. I'm like, oh, fuck. Go. Yeah, that was it, dude. You don't really, hesitation is not a good thing, you know, um, and I'll, I'll be honest, I had an issue with that for a while. Like, you know, I didn't expect, like, my first time, <laughs> so just shooting a dude in his sleep. Like, yeah, it's, I've never heard you, that one before. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. it just never, I thought it'd be like some gun battle and some dude's going to run out, cut, 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 you know, that's what I was envisioning. And it wasn't. And, uh, you know, um, kind of similar to... Um, uh, who was a SEAL sniper? Um, they got they got killed. Um, Chris Kyle. Chris Kyle. And, and correct me if I'm wrong on this. I believe Chris's first kill was a it was a woman or a kid or something like that. It was like I don't remember. Yeah, it, or at least on the movie it was. So and I hear another like that would be difficult because that's probably not what he expected as a SEAL sniper to have to do. Right. But he he did it. You know, it was he was a highly professional guy. But yeah, man, like it was just, I had a real issue with, it. I had to talk to a couple guys about it and like, did I make the right call? Fuck yeah, you made the right, like it wasn't yeah. even, it wasn't even like, well, you know, you could have waited till he woke up. No. He's got an AK right next to him. Yeah. Every, every single guy, especially a couple of the dudes I was re- like, I, I held in high esteem and, and were like mentors to me. They're like, Joe, no, you did the right thing, dude. You're good to go. Right. Like. Doesn't sound like a big deal, but it was a big freaking deal, dude. Yeah. It was a big deal. Like that first one, it, it, again, I'm just speaking from my personal experiences. You know, again, I'm not the most experienced guy in the world, but that was like, you know, that's the first time you've actually taken somebody's life. Did it get easier the next time? I don't think it's, I don't think easier is. You compartmentalize it and you um, justify it quicker mm. and not go, uh, eh. you know, it's, I knew the rules of engagement, right? I, I knew what a threat was and what a threat was, wasn't. Um, it was just coming to terms with the fact like, yeah, dude, you just killed that dude. Right. He's done. Somebody's dad, brother, he's done. They're going to find him here. Like, that's what starts going. Because, th- look, after you hit a target and you do your SSC, it's like they don't just move out. People come around. Neighbors come around. There's, you know, and, and that's what they're going to see. And that, that, that was kind of just like it, it just hit me pretty hard. I mean, I'm man enough to admit it. It hit me really hard. And um, But no, easier, no. It just I understood at that, again, an epiphany. This is my job, you know. You chose to be here. You could have said no. Mm. Fucking man up. You know, this is what you've chosen to do. And when you, what really helped me uh, join was getting um, feedback from the guys I worked with. Mm. You know, going, yeah, dude, that was the right call. If one of them would have been like, why'd you shoot a, why'd you shoot a dude in a sleep? Problem. Oh, bro. That would have probably ended my career right there, to be honest with you. That would have been like, I'm fucking out. You know, I, this, I'm not built for this. 
Mm. You know what I mean? I'm just being honest. Yeah, no, it's everybody's like, yeah. oh, kill him. Watch it. Really? Really? Yeah. You yeah. think it's just that easy? I don't care how much training you have, what freaking unit you're from. It's not a normal act unless, like you've been saying, when you're on the other side of the, yeah. oh, yeah, just kill them all. Uh-uh. Yeah. Yeah. No, dude. Problem. That's not normal. That is not normal. Sociopathic. Yes. And, you know, I will tell you <laughs> that they, uh, one of the one of the proctors, I remember him saying when I was going through uh, the operators course, they're like, you know, this place is a morality car wash. Oh, you what know, a line. Holy yeah, shit. he said this is the morality car wash. You just showed up, and I'm like, what the fuck's that mean? It means exactly what it fucking yeah, means. But at the time, I was like, okay, it's a morality yeah. car wash. Okay, then you, you live know, it. three years later, you're like, yep. Now I get it. Now I get it. Yeah. Yeah. And there's a dude, there's a time and a place I think every you know, every good operator needs to say, you know what? I'm done. Yeah. And that's what that's what happened with me. I just uh I end up going to a, a funeral of a guy that passed away and I talk about that ten year old and that's exactly what happened. His ten year old son came up to me. Uh after his funeral, I was just sitting at this picnic table eating, kind of just relaxing and his son comes up and he said, Mr. Joe, how'd my dad die? Oh, you know, oh and, and, and dude, you know, it was just, what do you, there's look, nothing I, to say. What, you know, what is really crazy, bro. I don't even know where these words came from. Cause I'm not that deep of a person to say something like that. Like, especially being caught completely off guard by a 10 year old. I looked at him and I said, you know, I'm not going to tell you how your dad died. I'm going to tell you how he lived. Don't ask me where I got the words because even now, Mike, I'm not that philosophical of a person to say that. Again, you know, a little bit of divine intervention here. Like, Joe, wow. just say this to the to the boy. What, what? How do you respond to that? And he said, okay. That's what he said. He, he, was, a, he was a really tough kid, man. He was Clearly. a testament to his father. Oh, yeah. Wow. He had an amazing family. Amazing family, amazing parents, amazing wife, kids. But that was the moment where you're like, "That was it. I'm I've done. Had enough of this. Done. Game over. Yep. Physically, I could do the job. Mentally, I was. I w- and I knew it, man. You you want to be an asset for your men. You don't want to be a liability. Yes. And I knew right there. Now I'm a liability because I'm thinking about that kid. Yep. Now. I'm just. Well, I just didn't want to see it anymore. Yeah. I just didn't want to see it no more. I didn't want to hear it, get another fucking phone call. Hey, man, did you hear so and so? He lost his leg. Oh, you hear. You know, wow. eh, yeah, fingers in the ears. Like I don't want to fucking hear it no more. That's a little bit divine too. There's something. There's something there. Like where it's like, you need that. What's What's the thing they say? I'm gonna give a parallel here, but like when you see a cardinal after someone dies, it's like a son. Like oh, that, yeah, yeah. that was kind of your cardinal. Yeah. To be like, mm. yeah. it hit me that's, like a thunderbolt, dude. That's it. it wasn't even mm. like, eh, you know what? That's it was like, um, it literally the second he said it, the. Uh, done shut i shut off yeah and you know you don't want to put your men at risk you you know you don't want to put yourself at risk you don't want to be uh, you want to be an asset you don't want to be a liability and the funny thing it ain't funny but the the interesting thing about that business is when you fuck up normally you get somebody else hurt (laughs) you know what i mean you're not the one that pays for your mistake it's some other person Either way, it's not good. No, yeah. no, it wasn't. And I just, that was the end of it, man. And I, uh, it was hard. I ain't gonna lie to you. It was difficult to, 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 you know, hang your hat up. But I, um, 
it was it was black and white. It wasn't I wasn't even in a gray area. Like, eh, you know what I can I probably do this for another year. Like it yeah. was just like the bubble went and that wow. was it. You know, Humpty Dumpty <laughs> can't put them back together again. And that's the way I felt. And and I you know, and I'll be honest with you, I had come home backed up one deployment and I remember I was in a grocery store. I was in a food line. And 48 hours prior, literally, we had hit a target and I left. Holy and shit. here I am in a fucking, in a fucking Kroger. <laughs> and I remember, I remember looking around. I remember looking around and no thinking, idea. yeah, just thinking this is so abnormal. Yeah. This is just so weird. I, I was getting, I remember I was getting a- apples. I was putting apples in a bag. And I was just like, Mm. it's kind of hard to put into words, you know, it's just, you know, you just feel out of place, you know, like I shouldn't be here right now. I should be back over there doing that. And then when you're over there, you want to be back. It's this weird double edged sword. Joe, if, if I touch that, this gun turn into two podcasts fast and I got, I got to get you on a flight, but you're going gotcha. to, ha- you're going to have to come back. Yes, this, every second of this was re- This is, this was a fucking amazing podcast, man. Thanks. Bro. Every second of this was awesome. I really appreciate you sharing yes, sir. so much from your career. And also I, I think people will fully understand. I, I know I do that, you know, there's certain things you can't go into, but there are a lot of questions I didn't even get to ask today. So yes, sir. we got more ground to cover. And you also, you hosted a TV show for four years, dual survivor, right? Dual survival, yes, sir. Did dual 40, survival, yeah, that's it. Dual yeah. survival, uh, yeah. Gonna fuck forty-one, that up. forty-one episodes. Yeah, that's a whole other story. Maybe, maybe that's a whole other. We're gonna do that next time. <laughs> yeah, we'll do that next time. But gotcha. I'm gonna get you back on your flight. Thank you for doing this, and I know people are gonna want more from you, so we'll do it down the line. Thanks, man. All right, everybody else, you know what it is. Give it a thought. Get back to me. Peace.